I can hear you. You know what, though? I was sitting here like an asshole. I forgot to go grab my uh, headphones, so I'll be right back. Okay. Do you have a wine, or are you just doing the coffee? Uh, I was just going to finish this, and then I'll switch over at some point. How was your Yule? I didn't celebrate. I didn't do anything. Me either. (laughs) What did I do yesterday? I don't remember. No, I got home from work, and I had chicken parm, and then I watched Mm. the Kardashians. Trash, trash, trash. There's a really good TikToker who does all of the Kardashian impersonations. Yeah, And she's just talking to herself. She's so good. Yeah. yeah. She's like spot on. Yeah. I have my pajama bottoms on. Me too. We're having a pajama party. Pajama slash wine party. It's still early though. Usually I don't get home till like six o'clock, but that is true. I worked earlier today. Is Coraline behind you? Yeah, that's her. (laughs) Those are her bat ears. Look at her little rumpus. I know. I love scratching their little haunches. She's like a little Christmas ham. Ooh. How's your ham? Dude, it's really good. Good? Looks good. I love me some ham. I'd rather have ham than a turkey any day. Any day. Right? Yes, ma'am. I I think I need to freeze half of it though. Jesus Christ. 11 pounds? Just mail me some. I'm not going to mail you any. Jesus. Could you imagine the shipping? Oh, my God. Could you imagine the smell? Oh, my my gosh. And already cooked is not even frozen on ice or anything. By the time it gets to me. I wanted to say two things. Well, three things. I got the greenhouse because I know on the last episode, I was like, I hope I get this fucking greenhouse because the lady kept dicking me around. So I got the greenhouse. My friend Caitlin made me the biggest crocheted cardigan ever it probably weighs like two and a half pounds it's so heavy and cozy really i'm gonna be sweating my ass off by the time this is done but this is going to be the podcast duster the duster this is gonna be my uniform at least until the spring did you get that uh detective trench coat at the thrift shop the one that said transatlantic i did not because it it looked really dirty because you know if you got it you'd have to just keep talking like this kid oh lord that's what i got for you um welcome to magnolia street <laughs> we didn't even do like an actual intro yeah i'm christina i'm justina and uh this is the one and only practical magic fandom podcast and uh, i'm gonna keep saying in parentheses as far as we know because mm-hmm. <laughs> just in case know. just in case you never know <laughs> um but yeah uh this is episode 11 oh we're, we're almost in the teens now oh my god our preteen it's, stage is not yeah. lasting very long it's only gonna last through january right right oh my, yeah oh my god. by the time this episode comes out it'll already be after the new year right it will be yeah this is the second week in january i think happy new year's guys happy new year's guys happy new year's has has everyone stuck to their resolution so far i don't believe in that shit if you're gonna do something just do it don't make an excuse of waiting till the new year to get it done well here's my thing i'm already eating like shit right mm-hmm. and the holidays are here so you're just gonna continue eating like shit mm-hmm. until you get past all of that holiday stuff and then you can you know just start on a clean slate get back to so, normal yeah and then yeah. you can stop eating all that crap i'm gonna try to clean up my diet after the new year i have to i'm what? looking at pictures of myself and i'm like ooh, i'm fluffy i need to <laughs> you're not alone huh? you are not alone I'm a, little fluff. I'm a little holiday fluff what kind it's of good, good crap are you looking forward to eating we have not recording this gotten to christmas yet so we're anticipating i was listening real quick I was listening to us talk about your birthday. Like, oh, oh, hopefully future you had a good birthday. And I was like, that was like two days ago. Oh, 
shit. That's yeah. kind of sad. So uh, at this point, I have celebrated my birthday. So we can revert to past Justina. I just want to tell past Justina that your birthday was a lot of fun. And thank you everybody <laughs> for coming. And nobody <laughs> fucked it up. So thank you. Yeah, but nobody good. came dressed like me. So I think I'm going to save that for next year. Is that the big the big one next year? 40. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I'm like, it's I, a milestone. I think I have a right to be a little narcissistic. I think we should do a birthday special like a couple days before. But we next should do year? a birthday special where I dress like you. Oh my God. You dress like <laughs> someone else completely. <laughs> That'll be funny. So the birthday was the birthday was good. It was it was lots of fun. I wanted to say something else. I don't even remember. My dad, when we did the MSR, MSRP, AARP, <laughs> WMSR <laughs> episode, I was at my parents' house oh, and my yeah. dad sent home with me like a calendar like this big from church with all the Croatian saint name days on it and like all the holy days of obligation. Okay. So that- well, what are the obligations? What do you have to do? Go to church. Oh, well, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to keep it on my wall. I'm going to, that's, that was a good gift. And the greenhouse was a good gift. So we did, I, Christmas cool. is like really early for me. Okay. Least, but okay. but a good Christmas gift we were surprised with was a patron. How about that oh, segue? That I like that. I like that segue. Yeah. So welcome new patron. We have Couch Sprite. Welcome to the Magnolia Street fam. Welcome. And thank you for supporting us. I'm already yeah. taking off the duster. God damn hot? It's hot. Are you hot? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Couch Sprites. That is my favorite kind of soda, by the way. Sprite. Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I a got cute the giggles. Name. I'm sorry. Gonna get more giggly from here because Christina's already sipping on some wine and I'm about to switch over to wine pretty soon. Couch Sprite or, uh, makes me think of like a little imp or something that lives in your couch and like pulls the money out of your pockets. That's all the money that ends up in Like your a cushions. little couch troll or something like yeah. that. Like a little, yeah, like a uh, domovoy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those creepy little, creepy little things. Thank so, you, yeah. Couch Sprite, for supporting us. And we also want to thank my brother-in-law, Elias, for helping compose the uh, intro and outro music to our WMSR sessions that we're going to do. We wanted to go for like an old timey kind of 1920s transatlantic feel and it's our theme song but to ragtime. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you, Elias. We love you, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to WMSR. That was perfect. (laughs) I practice my transatlantic in the mirror every night before I go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Your husband must be terrified of you. (laughs) Can you just picture Avi walking in on me doing that? (laughs) You got have you ever seen that skit of, uh, I think it's Family Guy. It's like the high-waisted fast talkers. <laughs> I love what they call themselves. Anyway. So funny. This is not good that I'm already kind of teary, teary giggling Just this early drinking. on in the episode. Just I've keep only drinking had four wine, sips. Kid. I know. I will. <laughs> All right. So um, so by now we have already started our book club, right? A little bit? Mm-hmm. Future Us. Hope it's going good. Yeah, I do. Hope it's going good. <laughs> Like, and we have to keep referring to our future selves because we don't know what's going on yet. I want a new name for my future self. So it's like I'm talking about another person. Yeah. So maybe we can ask the listeners to give us our future selves different names. Future selves. Should we also give a name for our past selves? Because like (gasps) right right now we're talking in the present, but when we refer to ourselves in the past, that could also be another personality. Oh, oh no. This is going to be We're going to have to both split ourselves in three. There's going to be six different people hosting this podcast. (laughs) Past, present, and future, like the ghosts of uh, the Christmas Carol. Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't know where to begin. Do you want to pick our own names or should we let the people pick? Oh, my God. We should just, like, randomly generate them. I think (laughs) our past... We should. I think our past names should be, like, old-timey names, like Dolores or... I really wanted to name my greenhouse my greenhouse Darlene, but yeah, like an old timey right. name. <laughs> but like Darlene just reminds me of like like a female truck driver that smokes like yeah. ten packs a day because she's a like on the slings. road. 
And she's so stressed because she has got to drive that truck across the country. So she's got to smoke the cigs. Um, hi, my name's Darlene. She's hit up every line dance from here to Tacoma. <laughs> she's she she drives cross country with her cowgirl boots on. All right. I think we found uh, our name. I was thinking of like my past self will be like was Stina because I was. That's when I was. That's when you was. That's when I was. <laughs> Did you have any? Oh, you had. You had a. I used to be Chris for a long time. Uh huh. Were you? You were Justy Rocks for a bit. Did that you was have my any screen name. But um, either Justy, like my immediate family calls me Justy. That's cute. But then friends call me Just, like J U S S. Call me Just. I've only had like one person maybe call me Tina, like ever. I don't know. I think those are the only two names that I've really had Justy or Just. Yeah. My ex-husband used to call me Tina and I didn't enjoy it. And then my now husband's friends started calling me that. I'm like, all right, it's all right. It's all right. You're the only people allowed to do that. Well, now we're the Stinas. We are the Stinas. There was somebody who called me Tinchi, which is like a Croatian like Okay. Tina. Yeah. And I hated it. But I was also like eight years old. And so my brother, Marco, knew I hated this nickname. So for like my 17th, 18th birthday, he gifted me a pair of brass knuckles with Tinchi inscribed on it, like oh engraved God. in it. So then you could beat gift. his ass for calling you that. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, yep. When I went to Croatia with my uh, friend, Kristen, who got married, she got married to a, Cro- a Croatian guy in Croatia and they called me Kuma. Mm-hmm. That's like, um, like, godmother or like yeah. auntie yeah yeah so i guess because like i was her matron of honor so mm-hmm. like i actually signed the book in the church they got married in in croatia yeah. dude i was hammered <laughs> we were all hammered we were That's drunk awesome. before we even got to the church yeah and then after we got out of there it was just like all bets off but um yes yeah, so their whole family calls me kuma so now every time like they address me on like facebook it's like we miss you kuma come back to croatia <laughs> That's awesome. So it's really sweet. Yeah. yeah. My mom has that nickname too. I don't know because there's like specific names and titles. Is this the same in Sicilian? Like if it's your mother's brother, he has a specific uncle title. If it's your dad's brother, he has a different title. And no. Kuma is like some kind of like godmother, dad's wife. I don't know. Some, one okay. of those. But Well, they call me Kuma. I don't know if it's because like technically I was like the matron of honor and I had to sign the book. So maybe I was like her sponsor. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, yeah. That could be it. That's how they looked at it. I have that no idea. Kuma. Oh, <laughs> so you're okay. Seika and I'm Kuma. <laughs> great, 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 great. But we still haven't come up with our past and present future names. We have those names. I think we should get some Sicilian names also. I don't know. It's just usually like aunt and uncles, just like uh, Sio and or Sia. There's mm-hmm. no real like like okay. specific way to address specific people. That's uh, all I know. It's like see and and obviously grandmother and grandfather is like Nana, Nono. That's really it. Should we put um I guess a Q and A under this episode in Spotify and people can start loading up their you know justina past future name and christina right. past and future names yeah guys give us some past and future names because <laughs> referring to us is like oh a future you getting confusing oh, anybody it's... who starts our show from like past this episode is going to be so confused they're going to be like who's so and so like mm-hmm. who are they referring to <laughs> i know it's just past and future us yeah <laughs> So stupid. Anyway, what are we talking about today? <laughs> it's your line. Oh, <laughs> it's your line. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Guess guess what, kids? We're talking about Louis Lamar. Wait, I thought you were gonna do your thing. 
<laughs> Am I the one drinking the wine right now? I don't know. I'm, my head's fuzzy. Uh-oh. Maybe you need to drink some wine. Maybe if I drink wine, it'll have a reverse effect and I'll uh, then I'll act sober because right now I'm like, I feel like I'm going cross-eyed. <laughs> um, it's been a week. But anyway. Hey, Christina. Yeah. Have you ever read any books by Louis L'Amour? Um. Okay. Louis L'Amour was a foreigner and he loved all things cowboy, just like me. Jimmy boy. Are you are you doing are you doing a bit? So Louie would write stories about the wrestlers. <laughs> you know, wrestlers were really bad guys. They would steal cattle. I'm gonna just do this in trans. I'm not even doing this in Jimmy voice. I'm just You're not doing transatlantic. <laughs> They would steal cattle, but before they could sell them, they would try to take away the brand of the owner with acid or scrubbing. Unfortunately, they will never get rid of it, so they will be caught and get hanged. Louis Lamore is not a foreigner. He is from North Dakota, you asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, you got me. Yes, yes. Today, we will be talking about our favorite antagonist, Jimmy Angelov's obsession with Louis Lamore. He is about as American as you can get, dude. He's like a 10th generation American. <laughs> yeah. Why in Jimmy's eyes was he a foreigner? Like what? Because the last name and he's a ding dong. Yeah, I guess. But like what? Like what biography or book did Jimmy read that even insinuated that Louis L'Amour was a foreigner? I bet you he passed by like some dime store and saw like Louis L'Amour books in the window and like passed it by checking himself out, his reflection out and saw saw a cowboy that's the aesthetic i'm going for who's this author louis l'amour foreigner for yeah. foreigner <laughs> question though here's what? here's some uh food for thought yes do you think jimmy angelov's name and i'm just going strictly on the movie okay not the books because in the books we know his name is jimmy hawkins mm-hmm. in the movie jimmy angelov do you think angelov is really his last name or do you think he kind of like changed it to look to appear more alluring and to kind of like i guess because louis l'amour obviously like he idolized this guy even though he he is a ding dong yeah. and knew nothing really about his life. Didn't even know he was from North Dakota. But yeah. do you think he just like saw that name Louis Lamour? Like the way it's just spelled is just so romantic. It's like L capital L apostrophe capital A M O U R. So like amore. Like, yeah, like amore. Yeah, exactly. Like amore. Like it's like, Latin for love. And Jimmy's last name is Angel Love. So I'm kind of seeing a little bit of a connection there. That ain't even his real name. I think it, you're onto something. I don't think that's his real name at all. Like I think he kind of adopted that name to make himself seem more alluring kind mm-hmm. of like Louis L'Amour L'Amour alluring so I don't Very know I'm good. seeing a little bit of connection there but what do you think I, I like your theory and I'm I'm for it I think he could have changed it because he's just a slithery guy from oh, what God. we see Gary um, just in the movie like has trying to, be, trying to track him down after all these crimes yeah. like any perpetrator would probably go on and change the name right it's thinking about a true crime point of view and uh what else was i say about him uh, i wanted to comment on like this is really what magnolia street podcast wants to be about like this is a single line in the whole movie right yeah. but you could see how this foreign man you know d- the trans what did she call him dracula uh, cowboy yeah. from bulgaria coming yeah. to america to try to and i think in the interview we have later on 
Louis L'Amour talks about foreigners coming to America and trying to live out that cowboy lifestyle, that dream, you know, that romantic cowboy dream. Um, Some of them do and some of them don't. So that's definitely Jimmy's, as uh, you know, whole vibe. Right. right? You, that's kind of Jimmy's way of kind of adopting the American persona, I guess. So do you think that's in a way of like Jimmy just trying to be more American, like him adopting this cowboy per- persona is his way of kind of taking on the traits of an American. Like For sure. Or coming over and trying to kind of just be of this country. Yeah. I think in a way he might have been reinventing himself for sure. Uh-huh. But like we don't know his story from back home. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, he maybe was like not taken seriously or bullied. And you come to America and you want to be that big brawny like man's man. Right. Who nobody fucks with. If you kick dirt on his boots, you're going to get effed up kind of thing. So the intimidation factor of like Wild West cowboy shootouts, I think was his jam. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, coming here from a different country, nobody knows him here. So he literally mm-hmm. kind of re- reinvented himself to whoever he wanted to be. Right? That's how I felt going from eighth grade to ninth grade. <laughs> really? <laughs> You stepped one foot over the high school threshold and you're like, nobody knows me here. I'm a new person. (laughs) My name is Jimmy Angelo. We're going to need another persona, high school Christina. (laughs) No, please no. She's so broken and sad. Was high school Christina just Darlene? Darlene, like nobody fucks with Darlene. I was, uh, no, it was Chris. I really wanted to be Chris. There's only one person who still calls me Chris. Really? It's really weird now. It's really weird. Uh, A friend of mine, Jeff, who I worked with at the psychiatric hospital, and I, I think it was like 2009, 10. Yeah. And that was the last time anybody's ever called me Chris. Why did you kick his ass? You're like, no, no, no. Call call me Chris he's lovely. Again. He's lovely. He sent me a lotto ticket for Christmas and I oh. won nothing. Oh, I thought you were going to, I thought there was a happier ending to that story. I thought you were going to say you won like a couple hundred bucks or something. No, so. not me. I'm not that lucky. <laughs> what do you got for us on Louis Lemire? All right. So basically, we're just going to scour his Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> and some of his personal site, right? Could you right. say again what that site is? Yeah. So if you go to louislemore.com, that's L-O-U-I-S-L-A-M-O-U-R.com. And there's a lot of other cool, interesting stuff on here. There's his whole biography, some articles, some photos. There's a Q&A with him. There's a link on here called the Louis Lemore trading posts and it has it's just like a collection <laughs> yeah it's just a collection of like novels audiobooks short stories nonfiction and poetry movies and merchandise and then there's also a community on here uh, with a discussion forum a guest book and some fa other faq and additional sources and links so if you guys want to check check out louislemore.com Head on over there and find out more about him. I have a question real quick. Is it L-A-M-O-R-E or L-A-M-O-U-R-E? Because we have two different spellings. All right. So the L-A-M-O-R-E, that might have been pulled from the wiki page. And as we know, wiki isn't always accurate. But his website is L-A-M-O-U-R.com. So I'm going to go with that because that's on his official page. Yeah. I guess we can jump right in here. And we'll tell you a little bit about who he is, where he's from, what he was known for. So. Louis L'Amour was born on March 22nd, 1908, and he died on June 10th, 1988. Well, I was really little when he passed away, but he was still alive in our lifetime. Well, my lifetime. When were you born, Christina? May 89. So I, oh, you were a year. I short. was not even a glimmer. Right, you were. You were like a year later. You came into into the world. Um, so Louis maybe Lamar, I'm Louis Lamour reincarnated. Do you feel like a no? Cat, that right? that doesn't work. That does, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm so sorry. Please continue. Maybe that's why you're like so obsessed with Dwight Yoakam. <gasps> 
I think we found the connection. We're on to something. So Louis L'Amour was an American novelist and short story writer. His books consisted primarily of Western novels, though he called his work, quote unquote, frontier stories. However, he also wrote historical fiction, uh, science fiction, and nonfiction, as well as poetry and short story collections. Many of his stories were made into films and his books remain popular and most have gone through multiple printings. At the time of his death, almost all of his 105 existing works, 89 novels, 14 short story collections, and two full-length works of nonfiction were still in print, and he was one of the world's most popular writers. Can you imagine getting that much work out in your lifetime? That's amazing. I am highly I'm very impressed. And impressed. (laughs) Jealous. I wish I had... Sagittarius (laughs) Gemini. I wish I had the fucking motivation. Motivation, but discipline. Discipline. And that's not the only thing he's done. Like, he he had spare time. (laughs) He did other stuff. Right. So uh, here's a quote from him. He said, One day I was speeding along at the typewriter and my daughter, who was a child at the time, asked me, Daddy, why are you writing so fast? And I replied, Because I want to see how the story turns out. So that was so cute. Directly from him. And that's just a testament to how much he enjoyed writing. Like, Christina, you've you've said before, like, we enjoy doing this podcast so much. If you enjoy what you do, it it never feels like work. You never work a day in your life. So that seems like that was something that was, like, so near and dear to him. He really enjoyed his craft and just writing just to write. And, you know, he was also on the journey along with the reader. Maybe he pulled an Alice Hoffman and didn't use an outline. Maybe he just wrote by the seat of his pants and kind of was hashing out the story as he went along and just kind of finding out in real time Mm -hmm. how the story played out. Like, maybe he didn't use an outline and he just liked to kind it was of like, just as exciting for him as it was yeah, yeah. he knew it would be for his readers right like imagine starting a story not knowing where it's gonna go and then by the end you're just as surprised by the end and you're like well i didn't know it was gonna take that, <laughs> that turn like can you can you imagine like being the creator of a story and just like not knowing until the end as well like that's amazing and that's how we should all live our lives isn't right? it right plot twist wow that was great plot <laughs> twist <laughs> Mic drop, plot twist. Mic drop, plot twist. Okay, we need. That's the meme. We gotta make it. Somebody make that meme and then send Kim. it to us, and we will. Kim, Kim get on it. Kim, get Kim, on. Did you it. see her True Blood meme? That was so yeah. perfect. Yes. Oh, I love how Kim's just become our meme maker. Thank you so point. much. So I just want to reiterate that Louis L'Amour is only mentioned in the movie Practical Magic. He's actually not even mentioned in the book. Right. Right. So I guess Alice. We had to ask Alice when we talked to her if she's read anything by Louis L'Amour. Right. And you know what? I'm actually kind of like interested. Like how how Louis L'Amour was included in the script. Like, I want to know right. who, who added him to the script. Because, you know, somebody was a fan. Don't we have two different versions of the script? Kim has one and or who somebody else oh, had one that Yeah, it was It somebody, was Johnny Mac. Yes, Johnny Mac. Johnny Mac that has like the third version. Yeah. I wonder if Louis L'Amour is in either of those. We'll have to we'll have to check that out, I guess. Yeah, we'll have to uh, also look at the writers, right? Who was the writer of mm-hmm. the script? Do you remember? Robin Swicord? Swicord. So There's somebody two must... Robins, right? Robin Stanford who is the, design, the architectural designer yeah. and Robin yeah. Swicord yeah. screenwriter. All right. Got so it. somebody must have been a Louis L'Amour fan to have included him in the script. I bet you was Griffin. You think so? I think so. You he think- seems like a cowboy boy. Also, do you think it was included in the script or do you think that was something that like on set, Griffin was just like, hey, what's his name? Vizhnik Goron. Goron? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Goron, ever hear of Louis L'Amour? Like he, he, he probably said the same thing to him and then Goron was just like, all right, I'm going to roll with this. I'm just going to, all right, are you recording? Freestyle. Are you recording? I'm just going to, yeah. freestyle <laughs> let's talk about uh louis's early life and his career right. i'm gonna give this a, i'm gonna give this a shot louis dearborn lamore spelled 
L-A-M-O-O-R-E, was born in Jamestown, North Dakota, as we said, March 22nd, 1908. And he was the last of seven children to Emily Dearborn and a veterinary local politician and farm equipment broker, Dr. Louis Charles Lamore, who had changed the French spelling of the name to the now spelling we see Lamore, L-A-M-O-U-R-E. That's interesting. So he kind of took his dad's original last... It's It seems like his dad wanted to become more Americanized. And then when Louis, I guess, was trying to find a pen name, which is like what the authors usually call themselves when they write the books under that name, he kind of went back to his dad's original last name spelling, I guess, to see more alluring. It sounds like his father is French-Canadian, which is the French, you know, area mm -hmm. of, of Canada. Mm -hmm. So it says his mother had Irish ancestry while his father was French of French-Canadian. Canadian descent. His father had arrived in Dakota Territory in 1882. Louis Lamore does not seem that old to me, I guess, like that he was born in the early, what, 1900s? That's yeah. crazy. Because yeah. there is footage of him. There's do uh, documentaries and interviews with him that we're going to get to later on like 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. And he seems like a young man. It's, cr it's weird to me. So although the area around Jamestown was mostly farmland, cowboys and livestock often traveled through Jamestown on their way to and from ranchers in Montana and the markets to the east. Louis played cowboys and Indians in the family barn, which served as his father's veterinary hospital and spent much of his free time at the local library, the Alfred E. Dickey Free Library, particularly reading the works of 19th century British historical boys author J.H. Hentley. Lamore once said, Hentley's works enabled me to go into school with a great deal of knowledge that even my teachers didn't have about wars and politics. So when Louis was very young, his grandfather, Abraham Truman Dearborn, came to live in a little house just in back of the Lamours. He told Louis of the great battles in history and of his own experiences as a soldier in both the Civil and Indian Wars. Two of Louis's uncles had worked on ranches for many years, one as a manager and the other as an itinerant cowboy. What the hell is that? that? I don't know. All right, I'll keep reading. Look that up. Find out what that is. Okay. So it was in the company of men such as these that Louis was first exposed to the history and adventure of the American frontier. He expanded his education by studying far afield of the local curriculum. In addition to the nonfiction study of history and natural sciences, Louis was captivated by the fiction of Robert Louis Stevenson, Jack London, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and others, letting them carry him away to the South Seas, the gold fields of the Yukon, the Spanish Main, the center of the Earth, and the dying red planet of Mars. Jamestown, North Dakota, had provided Louis with an idyllic childhood, but hard times finally uprooted the family and set them on a course that would forever alter Louis's life. After a series of bank failures devastated the economy of the upper Midwest, Dr. Lamore and Emily took to the road. Removing Louis and his adopted brother John from school, they headed south in the winter of 1923. Over the next seven or eight years, they skinned cattle in West Texas, baled hay in the Pecos Valley of New Mexico, worked in the mines of Arizona, California, and Nevada, and in the sawmills and lumber camps of the Pacific Northwest. Seems like they really got around. Um, okay. It was in colorful places like these that Louis met a wide variety of people upon whom he later modeled the characters in his novels, many of them actual Old West personalities who had survived in the 1920s and 1930s. Making his way as a mine assessment worker, professional boxer, and merchant seaman, uh, Louis traveled 
travel the country and the world, sometimes with his family and sometimes not. He visited all of the Western states, plus England, Japan, China, Borneo, the Dutch East Indies, Arabia, Egypt, and Panama, finally moving with his parents to Choctaw, Oklahoma in the early 1930s. There, he changed his name to the original French spelling Lamour, capital L, apostrophe, capital A-M-O-U-R, and settled down to try to make something of himself as a writer. Uh, I wanted to say that itinerant cowboy? All that yeah. came up was rawhider, so I'm wondering has to do with like the skinning of animals also and drying know. and curing probably right yes, yes something yes, like yes. that very all right i'm just gonna assume stuff. that's what that means <laughs> okay in regard to his early works, he had success with poetry, articles on boxing and writing and editing sections of the WPA guidebooks to Oklahoma. What's a WPA guidebook? Let me see. But the dozens of short stories he was churning out met with little appreciation. Finally, Lamore placed a story, Death Westbound, in 10 Storybook, a magazine that featured what's supposed to be quality writing. Jack Woodford, author of several books on writing, is published in the same edition as Lamore. Alongside scantily tired or completely naked young women, several years later, Lamore placed his first story for pay. It was called Anything for a Pal. Published in, this is the name of the magazine or article, True Gang Life. Two lean, disappointing years passed after that. And then in 1938, his stories began to appear in pulp magazines fairly regularly. Along with other adventures and crime stories, Lamore created the character of mercenary sea captain Jim Mayo, starting with the East of Gornitalo. The series <laughs> ran through nine episodes from 1940. 40 until 1943, Lamore wrote only one story in the Western genre prior to World War II. 1940s, it was entitled The Town No Guns Could Tame. Though he left school in the 10th grade, Louis had a thirst for knowledge. Throughout his life, Louis hunted libraries and bookstores across the country and all over the world. Often he went without meals in order to afford to buy books. He sometimes worked long and hard so he could quit working temporarily and afford to study full time. Oh my God. Wouldn't that be nice? Louis, God, Lee, I would to just love to be like. School. Or to just be like, yeah, I'm not going to work right now. I kind of want to study. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Louis liked to brag that from 1928 until 1942, he read more than 150 nonfiction books a year. And that in order to do it, he worked miserable jobs and lived in Skid Row hotels and campgrounds. Oh, wow. Wow. Let Talk me check about self-sacrifice. Yeah. I got to pour some wine. Is it? Is it wine time? It might be wine o'clock. Uh, before is... we get into wine o'clock, uh, real quick, the WPA is also known as the Works Progress Administration. Oh. Um, it was an American New Deal agency that employed millions of job seekers, mostly men who were not formally educated, to carry out public works projects, including the construction mm -hmm. of public buildings and roads. So, wow. yeah. Thank you. Just a little bit about that. There's, there's actually a whole Wikipedia page on the Works progress administration so if you guys are interested in that we'll link that down below i know wikipedia has its problems but anything you want to know it's like yeah. oh what's that let me click it oh what's that in this article let me click it and you just get on a massive rabbit hole right oh god wiki is such a rabbit hole it's wine time all right uh should we stop this recording or should we just keep it rolling while we're pouring our wine we got time all right i'm gonna go grab make it count grab. yeah all right all right all right we'll be back we got time all right i'm gonna go grab. make it count grab. yeah all right all right all right we'll be back Hey, we're the Stinas, and you're listening to Magnolia Street Podcast. He's going potty! 
Daddy outside. I gotta wait for Diggity to go. I heard a bluegrass version of No Diggity No Doubt today, and it oh, was yeah? great. I need to hear it. Let's link it below. Uh, <laughs> okay. We got it. Did you? I'm just reading Kim's. She messaged us in the Discord. I don't know if she wanted us to share this on here. Oh, I don't know either. Let's but, record it and maybe. All right. So this is, she said, I had to share my dream with you. Last night, I dreamed that I was thrifting and pulling dolls that I could turn into Sally and Jillian. No idea where that came from. I set down a couple to pull some from the bottom of a pile. And when I turned around, my stockpile was gone. I started looking all over for them and went to a couple workers to ask if they had moved them. And when they turned around, it was Sally and Jillian. I also dreamed that I murdered a bunch of people and my cat ate their faces. <laughs> so I had to rename her Rosemary. So I don't know what my dreams are telling me last night. Oh, oh my God. Kim, what are you eating before bed? <laughs> like, why are you dreaming? I know. I want to know what the concoction is to get me some of those Carasa dreams. Amazing. Oh my God. That's hysterical. Um, Yeah. I'm having some pretty crazy dreams myself. So I'm with you on that. I got my wine. Sorry, I was trying to put it on mute. What are you drinking tonight? It's called bread and butter. It's a cab sap. Ooh, cab sap. I'm drinking. What you got? What you got? I'm drinking a Pinot Noir in my bright to be glass. <laughs> um, I'm not allowed to have glass anymore. No, I can just, only have the metal tumblers because I break, break them shit. all. Um, I think I'm about at half a dozen that are broken. Cheers. Ching ching. Can you hear the ice in the glass? Maybe. Dude, oh. I love I love how cats are just like fucking mysterious as hell. They just yeah, sit there with their boy. little dark silhouettes being all creeptastic. He is the creepy pasta daddy-o. I love ready? when I see, see Coraline just like in the dark when I just see her silhouette, her shadow just sitting there in the doorway when I'm trying to sleep at night. I'm like, you're a fucking creep. Get in the bed. <laughs> Get in like, the bed. Stop sitting there. You're creeping me out. <laughs> Dude, there's a TikTok filter. Have you seen the anime manga yes. thing? Yeah. Okay. So I did the one where my grandma used to sit. I don't know if you saw. I put on my regular TikTok. But like her chair that she used to sit in, I did the thing in and it like put a woman there sitting there. Ugh. And I know I was like, grandma's here. And creepy. I got home the other night just showing Aaron the trend. And my neighbors, Tom and Jim, their mother passed away here. And I was like, oh, I wonder if Catherine's here, just like jokingly. And I took a picture of like my rocking chair. And, and it like, was like a woman Whistler's is sitting mother. there. You know that painting, <laughs> yeah, Whistler's, Whistler's mother? mother. <laughs> I can only think of Mr. Bean. And have you seen that movie yes. with the, the painting? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and he's going classic. around like flipping everybody <laughs> off because he thinks it's hell. They say hello. It's so funny. Oh, I'm so hot. Oh, man. Great. Right. Anyway. Now that we got that out of the way, do you want to talk about World War II? All right. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> so Louis L'Amour in World War II uh, service and post-war. It says, L'Amour continued as an itinerant worker, traveling the world as a merchant seaman until the start of World War II. <laughs> During World War II, he served in the United States Army as a lieutenant with the 362nd Quartermaster Truck Company. I wonder if he worked with Darlene. Darlene! Um, Darlene! In the <laughs> In the two years before Lamore was shipped off to Europe, Lamore wrote stories for Standard Magazine. After World War II, Lamore continued to write stories for magazines. His first after being discharged in 1946 was Law of the Desert Born in Dime Western Magazine, April 1946. Lamore's contact with Leo Margulis led to Lamore agreeing to write many stories for the Western Pulp magazines published by Standard Magazines, a substantial portion of which appeared under the name Jim Mayo. The Real quick, can I say, y'all go Google covers of Jim Mayo stories. Ooh, ooh, he's, he's a handsome man. I don't Is know he? who they got to sit for these. Wait a minute. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta Google the this one, now. The one that I saw. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Okay, I got, I googled the wrong person because this person <laughs> does not look very attractive. 
<laughs> Maybe yeah. it it is him. Maybe you don't know my type. Wait, wait a minute. Hold a real on. quick story about that. Also, I went out with my friend Jeff, who I just mentioned. He was visiting. I went out to lunch with him into town. Driving to town is 30 minutes. Going to town. We're sitting, talking. I look over and there's this like handsome dude, like like down the way, like far down the way, dark hair, bearded. I'm like, that's a handsome guy. Yeah. Look at that handsome guy. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, that's my husband. That's my husband sitting over there. I was like, I not sure have Jim a type. Mayo. It was not, not Jim Mayo. No, Wait, no, no. but was it this Jim Mayo? Absolutely was not him. <laughs> I I don't wait. If you see somebody on this page that fits the description you were talking about. Type in about. Jim Mayo, um, Louis Lamore. Okay. Where is it? Oh yeah. Which one? This guy? I don't know. Any of them. This guy? Uh, this guy? This guy? This guy? <laughs> is it this guy? <laughs> or this guy? I don't remember. All right. Now I'm under pressure. All right. Well, we're just going to say that all of these disguises are just um, animation. They're, these, are, these are animated covers. These aren't real people, Christina. They're drawings of perhaps people that were real. You know, like uh, like the other guy, the blonde guy who's on the front of all the um, love novels. Oh, like the Harlequin name? romances. Yeah, what the hell is that guy's name? Fabio? Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So basically. He's the Fabio of the West. Christina has the hots for caricatures and animation. Yes. All right. So I had the biggest crush on Johnny Bravo. Oh my for god! A long time, dude. That guy. That guy. That guy. Douchebag. I know. I know. I just okay. remember that like one. Um, there was a commercial with him back in the day. The cartoon Johnny Bravo. Mm -hmm. He's like, what did he say? He's like, I'm a dancer, romancer. You're a Capricorn. I'm a Cancer. <laughs> you don't remember that commercial? <laughs> You don't remember that? No. I had a mouthful of wine though and I couldn't laugh. That was that's like the one thing I remember about Johnny Bravo was that commercial. You're and a Capricorn was, and I'm a Cancer. I just thought it was hysterical that he brought zodiac signs into it he is a learned man well now we know that johnny bravo is a cancer he said it himself golly all right where Ooh. are we at here? are you feeling know. your wine yet how red are this cheek is really red the other one not so not so bad you're crooked drunk I, you're drunk you're only drunk on one side of your face <laughs> my strong side your strong side <laughs> All right. Louis is rolling over in his grave right now. He's like, what are these assholes? What these are they doing bitches. with my biography? Yeah. <laughs> we are bringing it to the masses of women who mm -hmm. would fall for Jim Mayo. What's Jim his name? Mayo. Jim Mayo. Jim Mayo. Yeah. Jim Mayo. Jim Thorpe. Jim Mayo. So... The suggestion of Lamore, you know, it's just going to keep getting sillier from here as we continue to drink this wine. Great. The suggestion of Lamore writing Hopalong Cassidy. Wait, that's not a period. Is that a period? Yeah, that is a period. What? Writing Hopalong oh, Cassidy. It's not novels. a period. Okay. All right. Maybe it's dust on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's the underline continuation after oh, the Y. Got it. All right. So the suggest the suggestion. The suggestion of Lamore writing Hopalong Cassidy novels. All right. All right. Pull it together. Pulling it together. The suggestion of Lamore writing Hopalong Cassidy novels also was made by Margulis, who planned on launching Hopalong Cassidy's Western magazine at a time when the William Boyd films and new television series were becoming popular with a new generation. Lamore read the original Hopalong Cassidy novels written by Clarence E. Mulford and wrote his novels based on the original character under the name Tex Burns. Only two issues of the Hopalong Cassidy Western magazine were published and the novels as written by Lamore were extensively edited to meet Doubleday's thoughts of how the characters should be portrayed in print. Mm. Strongly disagreeing, Lamore preferred Mulford's original, much rougher characterization of Cassidy. For the rest of his life, he denied authorizing the novels. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, in the 1950s, Lamour began to sell novels. Lamour's first novel, published under his own name, was Westward the Tide, published by World's Work in 1951. The short story, The Gift of Coach Eyes, was printed in Collier's July 5th, 1952, and seen by John Wayne and Robert Fellows, who purchased the screen rights from Lamour for $4,000. And John Wayne is that famous, like, cowboy actor, right? Is that yeah? His real name? name was Marion Morrison. All right. Are like we? Are you? Were you big into like uh, westerns, like western movies and novels growing up at all? My dad and grandfather were. I don't know if I sent you the Marco while I was there. We were watching fucking all the western TV shows, Wells Fargo, and like fucking I don't know. They were yeah, all. I, they were all there. My dad is super into the whole western thing. Um, he's more into like I think the outlaw kind of kind of deal. Like he's super into Tombstone. Oh like, yeah, is that the new a newer show? No, is it that was an that old movie. Show? It was a movie with who the fuck was in it? Val Kilmer. Oh, uh, oh, is that that? I'll be your Huckleberry. I'll be your Huckleberry. Something like yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. He's obsessed with Tombstone. I think it's like a lifelong dream of his to to visit Tombstone. I think that's in Arizona. Wow, right? Yeah, is that in Arizona mm-hmm. Tombstone. Um, yeah. So. My dad's all about the Westerns. He's obsessed with Tombstone. We should get our dads together. Yeah, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> they would. I think they would get along. Um, okay, so James Edward Grant was hired to write a screenplay based on this story, changing the main character's name from Ches Lane to Hondo Lane. Lamore retained the rights to novelize the screenplay and did so, even though the screenplay differed substantially from the original story. This was published as Hondo in 1953 and released on the same day the film opened with a blurb from John Wayne stating that Hondo was the finest Western Wayne, wait, I have to say it like this. Hondo was the <laughs> finest Western Wayne had ever read. During the <laughs> remainder of the decade, Lamore produced a great number of novels, both under his own name, as well as others like Jim Mayo. Also, during this time, he rewrote and expanded many of his earlier short story and pulp fiction stories to book length for various publishers. So, yeah. I wish I could do a John Wayne accent and then he could read it that way. Hondo is the finest Western Wayne had ever read. How was that? (laughs) That's the wine talking. I write. Many publishers in the 1950s and 1960s refused to publish more than one or two books a year by the same author. Louis' editor at Gold Medal supported his writing up to three or four, but the heads of the company vetoed the idea even though Louis was publishing books with other houses. Louis had sold over a dozen novels and several million copies before Bantam Books. Chief editor Sal David was finally able to convince the company to offer Louis a short-term exclusive contract that would accept three books a year. It was only after 1960, however, that Louis' sales at Bantam would begin to surpass his sales at Gold Medal. Louis' clear... Clear. <laughs> Louis' clear flourished throughout, throughout the 1960s. All right. Lamour's career flourished throughout the 1960s, and he began work on a series of novels about the fictional Sackett family, The Daybreakers, published in 1960. And the first was actually not in chronological order of the series. Initially, he wrote five books about William Tell Sackett and his close relatives. However, in later years, the series spread to include other families and four centuries of North American history. Holy cow. It was an ambitious project and several stories intended to close the gaps of the family's timeline were left untold at the time of Lamore's death. Sorry, I had to reread that just in case. Okay. This sounds like kind of like what Alice does, like taking family chunks and just mm-hmm. piecing them back together. 
I love that. Yeah. Lamour also branched out into the historical fiction with The Walking Drum, set in the 11th century, a contemporary thriller, Last of the Breed, and a science fiction with The Haunted Mesa. Lamour eventually wrote 100 novels, over 250 short stories, and as of 2010, sold more than 320 million copies of his work. By the 1970s, his writings were translated into over 10 languages. Every one of his works is still in print. Lamour appears under the name of Lou as a minor character in the 2006 novel The Chinatown Death Cloud Peril by Paul Malmut. The novel describes friendship and rivalry among pulp writers in the 1930s. That's a lot of consonants. Yeah. <laughs> in a row. That's another book to add to our Goodreads bookshelf. Yeah. Forgot to right? mention that. We yeah. started a Goodreads, y'all. Um, it has a couple different bookshelves. I think it's public. So we have books that are kind of our sources that we mention on the show. We have books mentioned by Alice Hoffman in the series. We have books that kind of give like the magical, practical magic vibe that we have read. And I think there's another one there too. There's another bookshelf that we're adding to. Yeah, go check, check it, it out. out. Check it out and join our book club if you want. Um, $5 tier on Discord and uh, Facebook. You want to get in our on our private communities and join in on our book club. Yeah. Yes. So come join us if you want to. Our first little book club meeting is going to be at the end of January. Date yet to be decided. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Maybe by the time this comes out, it'll be decided. Keep up with us on social media on uh, Instagram at Magnolia Street Podcast for all of the in real time updates. Because by the time you guys hear this episode, we will we will be our future selves. <laughs> Maybe have our shit together. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe we'll have our future-, future self names are just our names backwards. Well, that that might be like our past named selves. Ah, oh, this is back, too hard. Back to the future. We're thinking too much about this. Let's just drink. <laughs> drink. Take a sip. Take a sip. When it gets too complicated, just take a sip. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So we're moving on to literary assessment. Shakla, shakalo. Wait. Shalako. 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 All right. So I don't know what the hell Shalako is, but we're going to find out. We're going to find out. Great. So during the 1960s, Lamour intended to build a working town typical of those in the 19th century Western frontier with buildings with false fronts situated on in rows on either side of an unpaved main street and flanked by wide boardwalks before which, at various intervals, were watering troughs and hitching posts. The town, to be named Shalako, after the protagonist of Lamour's novel of the same name, was to have featured shops and other businesses that were typical of such towns. A barbershop, a hotel, a dry goods store, one or more saloons, a church, a one-room schoolhouse, etc. It would have offered itself as a filming location for Hollywood motion pictures concerning the Wild West. However, funding for the project fell through and Shalako was never built. So, it's giving me hardcore uh, Blazing Saddles vibes. Rockridge. Or uh, do you watch Westworld? No. With uh, who was that? Ray- Evan Rachel. Evan Rachel Wood is in it. He is in it. I knew that. Yeah. yeah. I had not watched it. And there's some other people in there. I forget. I think I watched like half of the first season and then I fell off. But it was really it, interesting. Isn't there another movie called Waterworld? Yeah, that's what, like, I'm Kevin- meshing those two together. That's what Kevin Costner. <laughs> oh. Okay. He drinks his yeah. own piss. Yeah. Oh, Bear Grylls. Be- okay. Bear Grylls style. <laughs> but Billy Zane was not in either of those. Then what are we even doing talking about him? Okay. Next topic. <laughs> not even worth mentioning. <laughs> Billy Zane not involved. Next. So that's unfortunate that that town never saw the light of day because of uh, funding. They couldn't get the funding for it. But I wonder where that was going to be. So cool. I would wonder where it was going to be. Hollywood, I guess. Location for Hollywood motion pictures. But not necessarily in Hollywood. I wonder where they're going to put it. Some kind of backlot. I don't know. Have you ever been yeah. to Hollywood backlot? Um, no. I always wanted to go to the Gilmore Girls backlot, but I never did. In, uh, 
I think it was, is it Universal Studios? I think they have a backlot tour where you can see like all, all of that stuff. Um, I saw the That's sweet. Desperate Housewives Street. Wisteria Lane. Wisteria Lane, yeah. It was adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, where every lawn is tailored just right. How about that? It, it is. It is. <laughs> Yeah, the Universal Studios backlot tour is really cool. So many films filmed over there that we don't even realize. Anyway, so literary assessment. When interviewed not long before his death, he was asked which among his books he liked the best. And his reply was this. I like them all. There's bits and pieces of books that I think are good. I never rework a book. I'd rather use what I've learned on the next one and make it a little bit better. The worst of it is that I'm no longer a kid and I'm just now getting to be a good writer. Imagine just starting to get going and then just like fighting the dust. Mm-hmm. Life sucks. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> I know. Like, there's just like so much creativity in a person. Like, you can only get out so much before, unfortunately, your time. You exactly. Know, and a lot of artists are just so much before their time. And uh-huh. it's so sad that it takes their death and then decades after for them to be appreciated. Right. It's hard being an artist. <laughs> so we appreciate it, your support. <laughs> it is being an artist. I don't know if I mentioned it in this podcast, but um, I went to the place. I forget what it's called. It's in the same town that I got married, was which was Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. The place that I got married was at the Aldi Mansion, but they had like a sister site, like a castle, Font Hill. It's called the Font Hill Castle. And this man who built the Font Hill Castle, he was a tile designer and creator. He produced all these tiles. And also I think he collected like a lots of different tiles from all over the world. And he used all these tiles to build basically his mansion, which is now the Font Hill Castle. Now it's part of the historical society and you can go in there for tours and all that cool kind of cool stuff. There was one room, it was like his writing quarters, okay? And he had a skull on his desk and next to the skull it said memento mori which is like you know a reminder that we all die and one of the um i guess the plaques that like an informational plaque that you can read kind of like about that area it specifically said that he kept that skull on his desk to remind himself that we all die and that it's important for him to take his work seriously and get every all the creative stuff that he wanted to get out in his lifetime that that space was dedicated to that and like he created books he was an author he created this amazing castle that like now people go and tour and it's it's amazing. If you ever come to... It makes well, me you feel like garbage. Look at my <laughs> studio right now. I feel like trash. Drink. We're not oh, meant to feel you. like garbage. We are artists and we take yeah. ourselves seriously as such. But Never. I just thought that was so inspiring. For like, sure. Yeah. It's like seeing somebody's writing quarters and seeing that like people like our ancestors, all the people that came before us, like creatives and people who were, were all working toward the same ideals and aspirations. And I just thought it was so cool to see somebody from the past be so aware of their own mortality oh, and use that as fuel for their own creativity and like we all put- want to leave something behind that yes. moves somebody else emotionally exactly or, in- or inspires somebody else that's all we want exactly take a drink yeah so take yeah take a sip if you guys are drinking along with us take a sip i like how this episode just became a drinking game this isn't even the midnight margaritas episode <laughs> golly um but i thought that was just like so cool to just see that that is know? really cool and if you guys ever make your way to doyle's town pennsylvania definitely check out the font hill castle and museum um, is it a real skull i think i don't i don't remember i'm sure it is this was like wow. probably from like the early like i don't know 1800s 1900s damn yeah damn. so check it out if you're in the area this castle is amazing the whole thing the whole interior is like tiles like every room is tiles wow 
It's crazy. I guess they we'll owned have a to tile factory. Yeah. So some of the tiles, they were brothers. One brother owned the Aldi mansion and then one brother owned the Font Hill castle. And there were some tiles created in their tile factory that they use in the Aldi mansion, which is where I got married. And it's just is really- Aldi like the store? No, the it's Aldi a- store. No, it's A L D I E is the Aldi mansion. And the store is A L D I. Oh. Yeah. Okay. No. Different people. Different, different folks. People. Different strokes for different folks. Okay. But I just thought I'd uh, give you that little tidbit if you're in the area and you want to go check that out because it's a really, really cool thing to experience just walking through that castle. It's amazing what this guy did in his lifetime. Awesome. Thank you. So yeah, man. Anyway, where are we at here? Critic, yeah. right? Critic? Okay. Yeah. So moving on. So the critic, John Tusca, serving Western literature, writes, I have no argument that Lamore's total sales have probably surpassed every other author of Western fiction in the history of the genre. Indeed, at the time of his death, sales had topped 200 million. Damn. That's crazy. That's crazy. What I would question is the degree and the extent of his effect upon the American imagination. Uh, His Western fiction is strictly formulary and frequently, although not always, features the ranch romance plot where the hero and the heroine are to marry at the end once the villains have been defeated. So like like the damsel in distress type deal, Mm -hmm. I guess. Not only is there nothing really new in the basic structure of his stories, even Lamore's social Darwinism, which came to characterize his later fiction, was scarcely original and was never dramatized in other media the way it was in in works based on Zane Gray's fiction. That's a rough review. Yeah, yeah. But Tusca also notes, at his best, Lamore was a master of spectacular action and stories with a vivid, propulsive forward motion. So I, like he had that like little bit of positivity to spin at the end. I guess. Don't so we didn't sound like a bro. complete asshole. Yeah. Yeah. All, right. All right. So tell us about some of his awards that he's achieved over his lifetime. Yes, there are a couple notable awards. So in May 1972, he was awarded with an honorary PhD by Jamestown College as a testament to his literary and social contributions. And in 1979, he received the Golden Plate Award of the American Academy of Achievement. In 1979, his title Bendigo Shafter won the U.S. National Book Award in the one-year category Western. In in 1982, he received the Congressional Gold Medal. And in 1984, President Ronald Reagan awarded Lamore the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Lamore is also a recipient of North Dakota's Rough Rider Award and the MPTF Golden Boot Award. Golden Boot? I want to see that award. That must be so adorable. I want to That must be boot. super cute. So uh, in regards to his death, Lamore died of lung cancer. I bet he did. Oh, I bet he smoked like, like uh, I Darlene. Bet. Darlene. <laughs> R.I.P. to Lamora. He died in his home in Los Angeles on June 10th, 1988, and was buried at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery in Glendale, California. His autobiography detailed his years as itinerant worker in the West. Education of a Wandering Man was published posthumously in 1989. He was survived by his wife, Kathy, and their son, Beau, and their daughter, Angelique. I bet he did die of lung cancer. Yeah. Golly, poor man. That's intense. So in regard to Wandering Man, that was published uh, posthumously. I want to start using that word. In 1989, do you want to tell... Is it posthumously or is it posthumously? Oh, yeah, you're right. There is no art. Posthumously. Cleopatra. <laughs> Coming at ya. Cleopatra Higgins. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell us about, a little bit about that? Uh, the Wandering Man? Por favor. All right. So, The Education of a Wandering Man. Is that one of the books that he wrote? Uh, uh, he oh, recalls- it's his autobiography. 
Right, it's his autobiography detailing his years as an itinerant worker, right? Okay. All right, so shortly before his death in June 1988, Louis L'Amour completed writing his most unique adventure story, a personal reflection of his lifelong love affair with learning. Now Bantam Books proudly presents this special centennial edition of Education of a Wandering Man, in which L'Amour vividly recalls many of the books he read, the places he visited, and the people he met that catalyzed his evolution as a writer. In this, his most personal book ever, L'Amour writes a of growing up in Jamestown, North Dakota, of the parents who instilled in him a love of the printed and spoken word, and of his decision to leave school at 15 to make the world his classroom. While mm. his contemporaries attended high school, Lamore skinned cattle in Texas, worked as a circus roustabout, and a mind caretaker. Dude, this guy has got an that interesting That is my dream life, job. <laughs> right? Uh, one small town prize fighting exhibitions, hoboed across Texas on the Southern Pacific, and shipped out to the West Indies, England, and Singapore as a merchant seaman. Wherever he wandered his pockets were always bulging with books like Can i just say really quick yeah. that the importance of the written word you know instilled to him by his parents alice hoffman's thing in all of her books at least the practical magic series is how important literature is and how important reading is and the written word is yes so even if they did like that louis lamore cameo i guess line in the in the films like there's a connection there and that's really cool that his parents yeah. instilled that in him because he went on to write so much stuff Oh my god, yes. He wrote his way into the grave. He wrote until yeah. he died. So, like the beloved Louis L'Amour novels and short stories that preceded it, Education of a Wandering Man has its share of frontier drama, such as the author's desperate two-day trek across the blazing Mojave Desert, and robust characters ranging from the Shanghai waterfront toffs to itinerant desert prospectors. All this ultimately informed and inspired the books that have made L'Amour one of the most widely read authors of our time. Ever both teacher and storyteller, Louis L'Amour makes his education our education, in a book filled with glorious asides on everything from hobo culture to the fate of Butch Cassidy. Here is a testament, part memoir, part reflection, in which the author bequeaths to us a most wonderful legacy of the education of a wandering man, a life lived to the fullest through the never-ending quest for knowledge. And I just like love how all of his I love that life experiences seeped out into his writing and the only way wow. he was able to write as much as he did is because he was such a worldly man he set out right. to have these experiences and adventures and really have this imagination to be able to turn all those into the many storylines and characters and adventures that he wrote about in his books it all seeped out from his actual life and his experience i think that's amazing yeah i want that so much just right? all the experiences like christmas has already passed yeah and it's such a like big materialistic time of year but if you can give somebody an experience like go somewhere even if it's just fucking out to dinner in the next county over yeah. you know for a night out that's starting somewhere in you my, really, in you my really point of view you really can find adventure in your own backyard you really can yeah. it's just a matter yeah. of putting yourself out there and you know being adventurous getting outside of your comfort zone and, and then experiencing what life has to offer you know right it's a scary time like I know it's not as easy to like hop a train it's super illegal but yeah. and even to hitchhike like you can't do that these days but there are other ways to go about finding adventure and meeting people and talking to locals and that's how you get the stories and you might be surprised like do it safely but the kindness of strangers is a real thing yeah. you know most of the time they're not out to get you just be smart be, be safe vigilant. be smart be safe exactly there exactly. you go so christina have you ever attempted to write a memoir or have the had the thought to write a memoir at all ever about myself yeah. No, uh, no, I haven't. I don't feel like I've experienced anything yet. I helped both my grandparents on both different sides write memoirs. That's right. Um, That's right. You did. And... <laughs> 
like after writing what they had gone through, I'm like, my life, I have not, I've not done it at my age. Sorry. At my age, my grandfather escaped a communist country and like crawled across the border to freedom with his, you know, his wife and his toddler, my dad, you know, at home and had to send from like, so I'm like, what do I have to complain about? First of all, I know. But I mean, like, regardless of the severity of, you know, because our grandparents went through a lot so that we didn't have to, right? We're very privileged. Our generation is very privileged, especially if you live in the United States. You know, our ancestors went through it, so we don't have to. But I feel like everybody has a story to tell and everybody Mm -hmm. has lived through some kind of hardship Mm -hmm. to be able to tell. And I mean, maybe not now, but maybe start gathering your stories so that when you're older, you already have a nice little compilation of stuff ready to go. Like, I mean, do you think anybody from the, like, I don't know, the early 1800s wrote in a diary with the notion that it was going to turn into like a best-selling book or anything like that? Like there are instances like that. You're right. Well, I mean, You're even right. Like, even like a diary entry is so intriguing to somebody who's who's in the future, who mm-hmm. isn't living through our lifetime. I'm sure that mm-hmm. is like so intriguing for somebody to read from the yeah. past and like seeing what we went through. So it's interesting now that the transition from like a, the diary or a journal or the written word is now a podcast or a YouTube where like I don't plan on having children. Right. But like my nieces or nephews down the line, like when I'm gone, they're like my auntie. Uh-huh. did this you know she yeah. took the time to do this and this was her friend and like they they got to learn all this cool stuff together and also let me just say it's hard for us to see the hardship because we're in it and we're still fairly young so we maybe we feel like we haven't experienced a lot but just think about where you were at the very start of the pandemic and how fucking scary that was who knows like maybe our kids kids won't experience a pandemic in their lifetime but looking uh-huh. back on what we experienced might be mind-boggling for them like they may be like oh my god how did they get through that hard time like you know yeah so it's all relative i think like i think so too seems like a cool thing to be able to say like i wrote a memoir or like i have something to pass on to the next generation yeah. whether we have kids or not it's just something for the next generation to have at their disposal for research and just to see what what our generation went through in our time do you so- feel that way with your book of shadows because i felt that way initially like chronicling all my information and my knowledge and like my beliefs and stuff like that. I was like, I even have a page in there. I'm like, this is for my future daughter to read. Yeah. At the time, that's what I wrote. But that daughter might not be a blood daughter. Whoever right. finds it, whoever has it, you know, right. yeah. we'll find it. I don't plan But on do it. you feel that way? Yeah. Well, I have a goddaughter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been kind of like, not her guardian, but, you know, a source of, you're in I her corner, know, a direction in her life. Like, you know, that person that always has her back and is always going to steer her in the right direction and it isn't going to take any of her bullshit and you know just tell her how it is (laughs) it was really cute like when she was younger she's like 19 now so whoa she's a little older now but when she was younger she i gave her a sketchbook for christmas one year and yeah like i wrote a couple prompts on like maybe the first 10 pages and i was like here do this on this page and she filled the entire book and she gave it back to me as a christmas (gasps) present like a couple years later oh my god that's so sweet yeah so now i kind of have that like compilation of like all of her drawings of when she was little that is so sweet yeah she gave me an empty sketchbook back and she made some prompts for me oh my god it's been some years since she gave me this book so i'm like way overdue on (laughs) but like i do have a book of shadows that eventually i I would like love to pass on to her or just something for her to have you know yeah she she is she's starting to delve into the magical realm a little bit a couple years ago she asked to borrow some of my witchy books and I let her borrow them and she had them for like a year and then she was about to go to college she was about to go to college and I was like can I get those back before you leave (laughs) don't sell those for your normal textbooks please or right because those books that I lent to her those were 
are the books that I started with when I was 16. Whoa. So I was wow. like, those are really important to me. Don't lose them. Don't fuck them up. Like if yeah. you're going to college, I would like them back. <laughs> she, did give the, she did give them back. But now like, you know, I gifted her last Christmas or her birthday. I gifted her her own set of tarot cards. So like, you know, I'm just kind of being that source of guidance and, and magical, under that wing. Exactly. Just being a source of that magical guidance and just showing her the way. Like, But like, I would love to like just gift her a book of shadows one day. Um, I have a little goddess daughter that was the little one who was staying with us over the summer. Oh, and yeah, she's only it. three. Oh, I'm almost I'm 33. So I'm like, oh, I hope you can inherit this one day. But her mama's little witchy one too. So I'm like, yeah. mm, I'm not going to step on no toes. However, how you feel about uh, giving the listeners a little break? And when we come back, we have a card pull to do, which I feel like we haven't done an actual pull in a while. Yeah, I think we've had a card for like the topics we were actually talking about for the past episode. Yeah, all right. And we actually didn't do one on our last episode, did we? We did Belladonna and then we had our WMSR, which doesn't get a pull. But for this one, if y'all stick around, we'll do a card pull. And then we have a couple Louis L'Amour interviews we want to go over um, just from his words. And you get a kind of sense of what kind of man he was from his own point of view. So stick around and We'll be right back. You're listening to the Magnolia Street Podcast. Welcome back. We hope you got yourself a snacky or some wine or some wine or some water or some coffee. Me and Chris right now boozing right now. Are you feeling your wine? I'm a little toasty in the chest. I'm, I'm feeling my wine, um, but it is helping to read off of my phone instead of off of the computer screen. I, ho- I I really hope it shows. You have more tolerance than I do because I don't I don't drink a lot. Don't get slammered. Oh no, I'm fine. I'm Look not at this like, boy. Let me see. Oh, I'm gonna crisscross applesauce right over you. He wants to lay in your uh, duster. <laughs> he does. I cannot lay on the duster. So I I saw a um astrolo- a zodiac comparison to Always Sunny characters uh-huh. and charlie day is definitely my spirit gemini brother because oh like he's the wild card and i'm like yes i love charlie he's my favorite i know he's my favorite he's such a spaz love it <laughs> i love him so y'all we're gonna do a card pull from the inner witch oracle by grounded by the moon justina has the oil slick holographic sides yeah. deck all right is that the one you normally pull from? Um, I have the gold one around here somewhere. I don't know where it is right now. All right. So tell me when to stop. All right. Louie, 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 stop. Okay. Let's see what we got. Ooh, full moon. Oh, dang. Is there a blood on the moon and a full moon? This one is just, well, yeah, there is a blood on the moon card in the deck. That would be ironic if that was the card. Okay, yeah. full moon. I pulled full moon, which the keyword on this card is control. Oh, Jimmy's MO. Uh-huh, exactly. So let's see what this says. All right. So, so the top of this page says control, but it also says set free. The meaning or the interpretation in the book says when the full moon comes a lot of energy. Oh, with the full moon comes a lot of energy and intense magic. The universe is telling you to release your control and give it up to the divine. This is reassurance that everything will work out. Embrace the powers of the full moon and her magical energy for she will guide you. We don't always need to be in the driver's seat. Isn't that... (gasps) Isn't that? Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Take a step back and allow the magic to do its work. The Belladonna magic? Oh, shit. Is this talking about Sally taking the front seat? Oh, shit. First of all, it was a full moon when there was blood on the moon. 
There was. Just it, was. Say that. Yeah. it was. Yeah. It was. Definitely. So it says that sometimes the best thing we can do is set things free to allow for better things to grow in their place. Take a look within and without, asking yourself what it is that you can let go. Set you things can... free like Jimmy under the roses to allow the roses to grow free? Yeah. Yeah. There seems like some kind of like double entendre here. Maybe I'm just trying to pull too much out of nothing. <laughs> We're trying to make it make sense. Yeah. Um, so it says, use this card during the full moon cycle and readings to harness its energy. And the mantra is, I release, I let go. Mm. So it is let kind go of, and let God. It is kind of what they do once they throw him in that grave, right? They try, they try to anyway, until his his uh, ghost ass was like, nah, bitches, you ain't gonna get off that easy. Yeah, it does seem like massive denial. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, what are we gonna tell the aunts? Nothing. Yeah, and then midnight wrong, margaritas happens. Wrong decision. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so we got some documentaries yeah. to talk about. We do. One of the first ones that pops up when you type in Louis L'Amour into YouTube is called A Man Called Louis L'Amour. And it's a documentary. Uh, and it's basically him just speaking in summation his life. Um, so he says, <sighs> I was going to try to do an accent. <laughs> and then just deflated. So <laughs> so it says, uh, I'll try to take it seriously too. All right, all right. Because the first sentence is, my great-grandfather was killed by Indians of the Indians of North Dakota and scalped. Oh my my God. grandfather fought the Indians. And there used to be some of the old Indians my grandfather fought that used to come around and visit him. And they'd also sit down on the lawn and talk about old age, oh, and drink a lot of coffee and tea, loaded half full of sugar. But after my grandfather died, they never came back around. They stayed away from him. And so I'm, I miss them very much because I really enjoyed having them come. But I grew up in stories like that. Wow. I was working with a man leading the Indians, so I learned a great deal from him. And then I left there, went over to New Mexico and bailed hay for a while. And in that job, there was a man working who used to ride with Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid and two of his pals were buried right across the road where we were bailing hay one day. And I came in and out and I was talking about one of the fellas who said, well, gee, for... Uh, I'm just going to read it how it is, I guess. This, yeah. This yeah. could have been the transcriptor trying to do okay. it. I was talking to one of the fellas who said, well, gee, for him seeing him talk to old Tom, he used to ride with him. He isn't some guy who said, I rode with Billy the Kid. He was a guy who was on record with him. Yeah, he'd been in jail with him and wounded in gun battles also. He fought in the Lincoln County War and in the Tonto Basin War, which was later. He was a rough boy in his days. He also had one leg at the time I talked to him, a wooden leg, but he taught me a lot about the West and about gunfighters, the laws. Can you imagine having a wooden leg? Can you imagine a wooden, wooden leg living during that time? Of like gunslingers and getting no, scalped. No. Jeez. The main thing I want to do is see the country. And I used to do a little boxing too, because nearly every town had some fellow who thought he was a fighter. Sometimes he was, but many times he just thought he was. And I'd come into town, get acquainted around, and they'd arrange a match between the two of us. Well, then I went on over to and got Balin Hay over there in Fort Sumner, New Mexico. And they had a fighter there in town that was supposed to be very good. So somebody talked up a fight between the two of us. And then at the last minute, he backed out. He had always fought fellas he knew he could beat and he didn't know about me because I was a stranger. So he backed out of the fight and they went up on what they call the cap rock. Oh, I'm loving this act. I'm loving the accent, by the way. I think he's just overtaking me right now. Okay. I love <laughs> it. Letting him possess me. Let the <laughs> commence. And they got to follow in. See, now you pop me out of it. I'm sorry. And they got to follow in us to fight up Navy up there. Wait, 
Could and got to follow us to fight in the Navy up there. To a man named Joe May, they got him to come down and fight me. Well, he outweighed me about 35 pounds and he was a pretty tough boy. So he fought to a six round draw. Actually, I could have knocked him out, but he was heavy and I wasn't. And pretty strong and older than I was, of course. So I was very wary. I was very cautious about it and I boxed along very carefully, taking my time with taking care of myself and just putting on a good fight until the fifth round. And he hit me a good solid punch that shook me up considerably. So I went to work then. And when the fight ended... So he went to work then, you know, in The Prince's Bride when he's like, I am not left-handed. And then he's like, neither am I. <laughs> and they actually start fighting. And when the fight ended and six rounds of heavy banging on the ropes out on his feet, usually I had no trouble getting someone to fight me because I didn't look like a fighter. Other fighters always knew other fighters and the average guy didn't. I didn't have cauliflower ears. I didn't have Wait. broken nose. Oh, what's a cauliflower ear? It's when fighters get knocked in the ear and their ear like inflames and it looks like just like a puffed up cauliflower head. Oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah, it's disgusting. Ew. I didn't have a broken nose, and so a lot of guys wanted to try me. I fought 59 fights. So this is him saying this. We don't know if it's accurate. I fought 59 fights, and I lost five. 34 knockouts, and I never lost a fight when I was eating regularly. I have a question. Mm -hmm. You think that Louis L'Amour was kind of like that old grandpa that told all these like big fish stories, and like mm -hmm. he probably elaborated a little bit to make things He's sound He's a storyteller. Yeah, like, do you ever see Big Fish, that movie? Mm -hmm. When, like, I love you and McGregor. Like, the whole family is just getting pissed at this poor old man because he likes to elaborate on these stories. But at the end, they we have it. It's real. It all happened. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, I don't know. I'm picturing Lou Lamore as that grandpa, just like telling those stories, just making things seem a lot more elaborate than they actually were. But no, this shit really happened. He's got grandpa vibes. He's got grandpa vibes. <laughs> so he says, I, I always wanted to tell stories all my life I wanted to write. Most of the first stories were about Indonesia and China, so much on Latin America, places like that. I wrote a whole string of stories about a character named Pongo, Jim Mayo, who was the captain of a tramp freighter in the East Indies just before World War II. I had spent a year down there and knew the country very well, so I was having a ball writing about him. That's awesome. It's tough getting started writing and because, you see, there's really no place to begin. From the day you start trying to sell a story, you're competing with the best people who sell stories you know so actually you've got to be good right off the start you've got to <laughs> develop some talent for it i've written 87 novels i'm not sure when this was recorded okay so at the time he wrote 87 novels i'm novels. guessing and this was was recorded in the 80s because if you watch this yeah. documentary this like interview it seems very 80s ish like the production value of it seems yeah. like in the 80s and he died in 88 so it must have been right before that it must have been close to his passing mm -hmm. for sure i've written 87 novels and most of them were about the west not all of them and of the short stories written i don't know how many were about the west i would probably suggest about 70 or 80 anyways possibly more the west always intrigued me i really didn't get turned on to the west until after world war ii i came back from overseas and like everyone else who came back from the army I had to start over again. The night I got out of the army was January 6, 1946, and I was invited to a party over in Manhattan by one of the editors I knew. And there was a lot of writing people there, a lot of editors there. And one of them asked me what I was going to do. And I said, well, I got to get started writing. He said, well, look, I've talked to you about the West, you know. <laughs> okay, wait. I love how they talk back in the day. This is yeah. like word for word what they was. He said, well, look, I've talked to you about the West, you know, a lot about it. Write me some Westerns. I need it in the worst way. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. And they caught on. We are going on and on. Yeah. That's so funny. He's just chatting. He's just chatting away. 
Uh-huh. I then have a character chick, Beaudry, a Texas ranger, and I wrote about 25 or 6 stories about him. I had never thought of myself as a Western writer and had never planned to write about the West, but suddenly I had a bestseller on my hands. I had a book that really taken off. So I had a decision. Well, I knew in the first place, if you write Westerns, you're right behind the eight ball. Nobody considered them literature. That's the first thing. And the second place is to start writing paperbacks, as yeah. I was going to do. Also puts you behind the eight ball, because in those days, paperbacks were considered the end of the road. So I thought about it and I made up my mind I was gonna do it. I was gonna take the ball and run with it. I love that. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm already in last place. I might as well I might as well just run. That's you know? like who's the one who writes all of those like Harlequin romance novels and um also all those like which you oh Nora Nora Roberts. Are you familiar with Nora Roberts? Her name sounds familiar. She does like all of those like paperback witchy. Oh books. yes, yes. Yeah. I can see the font her name yep. in the font, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you see them in like the uh a book section at like like a shop right or something <laughs> you might as well it's your passion just fucking uh-huh. do it because you're gonna regret not doing it right more so than if you did it who cares how it's received honestly who cares yeah. as long as you were able to get all your creativity out in some way shape or form like that's really the important thing is just getting does your it make you happy work out there exactly right Right. This makes me happy. Right. This is fun. So he said, so I thought about it and I made up my mind. I was going to do it. I was going to take the eight ball and run with it. I was going to make them like it. I was going to succeed as a Western writer. I was going to make Western writing literature important regardless of what they thought about it. Oh, he's, he's, mm, he's getting fired up. He's yeah. getting me fired up. Is he a fire sign? Oh, when's it? March. Wait, wait, Mar- Oh no, he's, he'll be an Aries. Well, Pis- yeah, that's a fire sign. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Is he? Or the Pisces. What's his date? 22nd? March He's an Aries. Aries, yes. Aries, yeah. All right, fire sign. I have an enormous background of personal experience in the West, and then I have an equal background in listening to the old timers talk, which is a big help. So I have a place to start off from. Then I studied the area very thoroughly. Usually I'm familiar with it. I've been on the ground. I've been there. If not, I go back, and sometimes I go back anyways and look it over again. But also, I do research in original documents. I try to find diaries of people who lived in the area at the time. There it is. Mm-hmm. Your diary one day will mean something to exactly. someone. Exactly. That's what that's what I'm trying to say, man. Like, you never know. The shit yeah. that you write now, some archaeologist might, well, <laughs> who's digging shit up anymore? <laughs> it's all in the internet. They're going to they're gonna go um, gold mining on a, on, in the internets and find this yeah. shit, like on some forum someday. Like, you never know who's going to find or dig your yeah. shit up that you left on the internet ages yeah. from now. If the internet even is a thing for, like ages from now, we don't know that. We, we don't, don't know. know. We don't know what the That's next our- generations are going to hold. But I mean, our thoughts and our feelings and our experiences are worth something, I think. Right? Yeah. I'm okay not knowing, though. It's so <laughs> scary. Know. It is scary. Yeah. But I always do research in the original documents. I try to find diaries of people who lived in the area at the time. And many, many stories come out of the diaries. I also read the newspapers that are published at the time. I literally saturate myself in the period. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've created any myths or anything or any falsehoods, at least about the West. The story that I tell is the true story. Somebody might write a similar story at the same time and see it through different eyes. But that's life, isn't it? That's yeah. me saying it. That's life. Yeah. That's always like we're... Right. If you want to simplify it, how we're not trying to rewrite Alice's story with our songs. We're just expanding on it through a different set of eyes. And right? a different, in a different medium. A different medium. Right. You know? Right. To try to keep it alive because it's so important to us. 
Yeah. But you see, there's something else going on that's quite important that a lot of people don't realize that many young men who came to the West, who became cowboys, and all the cowboys were not illiterate people. A lot of them were very intelligent men. A lot of them came from England and other parts of the world. This is what I was referring to. A lot of them came from England and other parts of the world. They all wanted to get that romantic, exciting life of a cowboy. Well, Jimmy, actually, Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. <laughs> well, actually, it was brutally hard 16, 18 hour days, but they loved it. They were men on horseback. They were doing something. They were out there in the open air. They're riding a lot for freedom, connecting to it. But the thing is that nine out of 10 of those young men who came either from Europe or from the East out to the West had been reading dime novels and reading romantic stories. So they came out, they're already geared up to find something and they found it, whether it was there or not. Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, right, right, right. It's so weird that he says that, it, that yeah. he mentions like the other settlers. You know, I have another question. Do you think whoever wrote Jimmy into the script read this interview or saw this interview and kind of took that from it and wow. was like, hey, we should yeah. make our Eastern European uh, Bulgarian cowboy, Dracula cowboy, <laughs> we should give him this uh, little bit of... Um, Louis. Yeah, like Louis mythos or whatever you want to call it. Hell yeah. Yep. I agree. I don't know. It seems all too coincidental. They've done whoever wrote wrote Jimmy into the script and wrote Louis into the script for Jimmy did their research. Let's just say they that. did a good job. Mm -hmm. Good job, you. Yeah. <laughs> this was the way they saw it. Now, many of the old drivers, dust cowboys, oh, that's nonsense. But it wasn't. So he's referring to like the old cowboys saying like the European guys coming out here on a romantic notion. Oh, that's nonsense. But it wasn't because you see it in their own lives when they begin telling stories. So I guess he's saying like when the old cowboys start telling, they, I, they get that misty eye, you know, mm -hmm. you know, uh, nostalgic, same romantic feeling. I'm sure that the, the European cowboys did. Right. All right. I got one more little spot. Okay. <laughs> Besides my work, which is one of my favorite pastimes, I love to write. I love to read. But aside from that, I like to spend time in the mountains. I like to spend time reading wild country, mountains, or desert. My favorite quotation that expresses it very well is Robinson Jeffers. And he said, when the cities lie at the mountain's feet, there will still be the mountains. And I believe that very much from this corruption, there's crime. There's all these things in the cities and all the turbulence and all this confusion, everything. You come back to the mountains, just walk out there alone. Gravestones around you, you can look out across the great vistas and far distant peaks and mountains and clouds and everything. And suddenly it smooths out all the wrinkles and you're at peace with the world. It gives you something that refreshes your whole spirit, makes you stronger, makes you a better person. There's no question about it at all. And I like to go back. I like to go back to the mountains and feel that feeling. I know how it was. Yeah. That whole paragraph kind of reminded me, I went on a trip out to Arizona back in like 2007 or eight and we went to Flagstaff Arizona it's like the mountains mm -hmm. and they have like a bunch of like Indian reservations up there and some ruins and I just remember climbing atop one because it's like a tourist place they allow tourists to go up there and kind of scope out the uh, I guess the lookout points and I just remember when I was up on top of one of them looking out and up there it looks like just like flat land when you're up there but it looks like it just like goes on forever and just like seeing like the sunset and like the haze the clouds I was getting that vision when you were reading this paragraph. Oh, yeah. Because it was like, it's all, and also like Arizona to me, it's a foreign place because like I'm from the East Coast. So I'm not used to like the land out there, you know? So when we went to visit Arizona, it was like a really breathtaking thing. It was like really, yeah, it, it was sure a really is. cool experience to kind of like get a 
again, getting outside of your comfort zone, experiencing another territory or mm-hmm. um, your surroundings in general are different and just experiencing that. Because like you can't always take physical things with you, but you can take that experience with you and put it again like louis lamore you could put it in a book you could put it in a memoir any yeah. experience that you have is a valuable experience so that makes you who you are at the end of the day yeah. at the end of your life that makes your experiences make up who you are so it's, it's a really special thing i think i think you nailed it it's definitely like from as an east coast perspective moving to california it, it was it was eye-opening and then you get used to it and then we started going rock climbing in the desert in joshua tree and like the desert and seeing like the open space and like these these like ancient monoliths you know that that have been there for so long even before the cowboys came along you know there are um there's like a cave a little it's so small it's so small you you have to move like stones out of the way you can crawl in and you can see those um neolithic paintings Uh uh-huh um, and like to just be, it, it almost makes you like sad because yeah. you're so small in like the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But I always think speck of, of dust. we're just a right? speck of dust. And mm-hmm. I always consider myself like a forest person. Like I'm not really a beach person. And then I went and visited the desert and I was like, this is like soul changing. Like it yeah. leaves a wrinkle in your brain. You know, it changes yeah. your makeup. Yeah. Um, so I could see him growing up in, in North Dakota and just having that vastness. I cannot even imagine north dakota by the way right now is like having negative 30 degree weather so send a prayer for them i don't know about now when this comes out but golly yeah golly i agree with you 100 i have pictures from that trip that i still look back at like and yeah they had some of the neolithic imprints in like the stone and stuff in Mm -hmm. some of those ruins as well so it was cool to capture that like you know you can't take the physical thing with you but having that photograph as like a like a stamp like i was here i experienced this it's a special thing to kind it's of the just... oldest thing you've probably like come in contact with you know yeah and just like, like even just to touch fingers, it yeah running your fingers on it and just like knowing that some ancient person put this on this wall and being in the future kind of touching the same exact spot this person centuries before has touched as well and like it's a direct connection with the past it's so mm-hmm. amazing it is right Ooh. it's like kind of like a time traveler kind of thing it's sure. so cool yeah it is cool but but anyway so we're gonna go into a 1976 interview on 60 minutes with dan rather um so how did you want to do this you said you wanted so i'm gonna play dan rather i'm gonna okay. be asking you the questions and you go okay. be okay okay we we okay we all right, all right. <laughs> have you heard dan rather's voice by the way I know the name, but like, no, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. This is Louis L'Amour. He spent a life separating <laughs> fact from fiction. He's an Amer- He's America's most prolific Western writer. Other Western writers like Zane Gray, who was a New York dentist, may be better known, but no Western writer has sold more books than Louis L'Amour. So is this Louis L'Amour speaking now? Speaker two is you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, well, in the first place, let's get back to one thing. The movies have entirely over-dramatized the gunfighter in every sense of the word. The gunfighter was here. He was a natural product of the times. But there were very few men who are known as a gunfighter who wanted to be gunfighters. They became so largely by accident. They were men who simply had a natural skill with guns. And with the time, they'd be won two or three fights. They had reputations as gunfighters, well, whether they wanted it or not. Most of them didn't want it. I'm just thinking of, like, I'm Forrest Gump right now for some reason. I can't hear the Southern. Damn. (laughs) There was always some cheap punkster to hear about it in the movies. Jenna. 
And there were a few of them who went around looking for reputation, but they didn't last long because the kind of reputation finders written on a tombstone. But the gunfighter is completely overemphasized in the West. So much else going on. And actually, usually, all that sort of thing took place on the wrong side of the tracks. You might say on the wrong side of the street. And many people, the West never came in contact with it at all. There's sort of a inner city problem. That's right. That's right, exactly that. And the prostitutes and the gambling. Oh my God, this guy. (laughs) And all that sort of thing went on in one area of the town, the red light district, which actually came from the railroad men hanging their red lanterns on the front of the houses when they went in. But the gunfight usually took place over there and not in the better section of town at all. To his readers, Lamores perhaps. Oh wait, that was my my Joelle and Deshaun (laughs) reviewed voice so hang tight oh my god okay <laughs> to his readers lamores perhaps the country's best known novelist to book reviewers and literary establishments perhaps the least known and yet there are nearly 65 million copies of his books in print he's among the most popular writers this country has ever produced he's written 66 novels 400 short stories and at least 30 of his stories have become movies movies like hondo shalaka and hella in pink tights as novelists <laughs> i'm cracking myself up oh my god as an as a novelist as a literary man does it not bother you to see your books reviewed well they are reviewed wait i just went from transatlantic wait. to like <laughs> to transatlantic cowboy i just created a new dialect well they are reviewed i will i would like to have more importantly review than they are but we have a very queer situation in this country that anything anything western is sort of regulated to the hash heap it's just consi- ash heap to the ash heap ha- oh ash <laughs> the hashish pipe hashish it's just considered not to be good why this is i don't know because for example they think it's more important to detail the experiences of somebody in bed some couple in bed rather than the opening of half a continent it's beyond belief you know this guy like he's just mumbo jumbo like i don't understand did you understand the whole thing he's a he's a mouthful of uh, marbles kind of guy yeah yeah. Oh, God. Lamore is not your tweety pipe smoking couple of hundred words a day kind of writer. He's a man of action who quickly gets rid of writer's block by punching it out of himself on a heavy bag. And that's because he, is... he's an Aries. That's right. I, that's right. <laughs> and Lamore is never very far from his roots. From the source of all his wealth and spirit, he takes his summers off and returns with his wife and children to his own spread near Durango, Colorado. Dang, I got to get Dan Rather back. Dan left me. Yeah, where's Dan? I don't know. He's lived the life of Jack London, soldier of fortune, lumberjack, longshoreman, professional prize fighter, old China hand, and cowboy. He barely got to high school before... Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> high school... He barely got to high school before he dropped out. He's made a profession of a private passion, the Old West, and you can still see it much as the same as it looked when the railways first spanned this country a hundred years ago. Lamore is a 10th generation American with deep roots in the expansion of this country. His great-grandfather fought in the army against the Indians and was scalped for his sins. His grandfather fought off Indians while settling a homestead in North Dakota where Louis was born. When he was very young, he got to meet some old gunfighters who lit the spark that made Louis Lamore a rich, 
and learning man today. His plots, I'm just trying to hold it together, man. I'm (laughs) giggling. You're almost done. His plots may be fiction, but the details therein are fact. And Louis Lamour has become a professor emeritus of how the West was won. One of the myths I always like to get away from is the idea that a gunfight or a group of gunfighters could come in and terrorize the Western town. It just couldn't happen. Because, you see, nearly everybody in that town grew up using a gun. They were familiar with it. But the thing was that in every town, I would venture to say that two-thirds of the adult men men had fought in the Civil War. These men were used to guns. Nobody was going to scare them. No tin horn is going to come along with gun and buffalo them at all. So you could see what happened at Northfield, Minnesota when the Jesse James and Cole Younger King tried to rob the banks there. They get shot to pieces by a bunch of farmers and businessmen. And the same thing happened in Coffeyville, Kansas. Coffeyfield. Coffeyville. Coffeyville, Kansas. I want to go to Coffeeville. Um, I need some coffee. Kansas, well, the Dalton gang. They got wiped out. The one man has survived and 16 buckshot in him and he lived for a long time and suddenly became real estate men. He became a real estate man. Oh, he became a real estate man. (laughs) That's what I meant to say. What about the best drawers and the invention of novelists and filmmakers, or did they really pride themselves on that? It was very important because if two men got in gun battle, it was important for that first shot. But I have talked to at least 30 of the old gunfighter outlaws and they all say the same thing. The first one who told me was Bill Tillman who taught me how to use a pistol. He said the first fast draw is important but the most important thing is making the first shot count. You may never get another one. And many a man who drew very fast put his first bullet in the dust right in front of them. (laughs) They never got off another one. That's right. What about the high noon confrontation? Two men standing in the main street of town drawing against each other. True or false? It happened occasionally, but only occasionally. Usually it was a point blank thing right at that moment. Sometimes one man wouldn't be armed. They'd say, well, go get a gun. Go head yourself a comeback. And of course, when he did that, it was open season. I mean, it took a shot at him whenever they saw him. You know, the thing I like to write to get away from is the idea that when a man gets shot, he drops. Some people have the idea that a shot always kills a man and knocks him isn't true at all. You take a really tough man, he keeps right on coming. And Co- and Colonel Butcher, who made quite a study of gunshot injuries a number of years ago, he decided after studying them very carefully that unless a man was shot right through the brain, right to the heart, or was hit in the big bone, is that like is that like their dick in in a big bone? <laughs> I thought he meant like the big bone, like, you know, yeah. the bone. All right. Thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. He wasn't going to go down and it was going to keep coming if he was mad, if he had the adrenaline pumped up in his system. So By I the was way, trying to, yes, our listeners are listening to a very bad play, a very bad reenactment of this oh. interview. Yeah. This is small town theater. We apologize for our horrible accents. We We are not trained professionals. Um, I looked up who Colonel Butcher was. I Uh tried for a while to find who he was referring to. Uh I couldn't find it. So if anybody listening knows who Colonel Butcher is, let me know. Maybe it's a nickname. Maybe it's a nickname. I don't know, but I couldn't find it. Colonel Butcher in the study with a wrench. (laughs) Yes. I like this this next part. So what about the Western Saloon, the, the, the dancing girl with the heart of gold? Well, there were some of those around. There's no question about it. But uh, my brain broke. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> but they're very rarely as attractive as they are in the movies. And they weren't dressed the way they were in the movies. They usually wore long dresses clear down to their ankles. And there weren't many women in saloons. 
Now, Long Branch Saloon is famous from TV series. You know, actually, there's no woman in it at all. It was operated by men, for men, and only men. Our perception of the West is that, with the exception of the noble sheriff or marshal, was it was that it was a lawless place. Was that true? All right. So this part's highlighted in green. Does this mean something? The, oh, this section reminded me of what Jimmy says in that scene. Oh, got it. Okay. All right. So maybe whoever wrote Jimmy's part, once again, did their research and maybe they pulled directly from this, right? Yes. So he says, Lulu Moore says, This isn't true. There was really a lot of justice and a lot of very forthright thinking. However, they had very, very little patience. They didn't want justice delayed. They wanted it now. They didn't want long trials of many of the many, the lynching, so-called rustlers, out in the West happened because some fellow would catch a man standing his cattle, hanging right on the spot. If it was a tree handy because it was easier than taking him a hundred miles into the courthouse in jail, leaving in there, riding back home, riding in a hundred miles more to testify, riding back again, leaving his business, leaving all of his work, much simpler to hang him on the spot. There it is. Mm-hmm. They Rustlers. would be caught and get hanged. Rustless. He's from North Dakota. <laughs> Assholes. We got the idea that it wasn't, but it was. Murder was a serious crime. Murder was a very serious crime, definitely. You see, when two men shouted out with guns, it was not considered murder. It was considered murder when Burr and Hamilton fought back east either, which was not too long, but before you know. So you gotta think with perspective. And Thomas Hart Benton, for example, the senator killed five men in duels. Andrew Jackson killed one and was involved in over 102 as a second or something dueling. Was it a way of settling disputes? It was considered an honorable way. That whole line was a jumbled mush. I tried my best. Um, You did great. Now, contrary to what you see in the Western movies are very few fistfights. They were Irishmen out there some irish track workers whatnot and they fought with the fists but by and large the western men did not i like how like he just makes irishmen's just sound like brawlers he's throwing brawl exactly yeah <laughs> our own perception of ourselves of the white men settling the western change over the years and now the history writers tell us we're full of duplicity and murder even genocide as far as the indians are concerned all right so this part is highlighted as well is there a reason why this part's highlighted so these are louis lamore's words in regards to the settlers invasion of native american territory These are not our words. We are reading it word for word. The white man definitely stole this country. But these are Louis L'Amour's words in regard to Dan Rather's question on history writers saying that they're full of duplicity and murder, even genocide as far as Indians are concerned. That's so all what, I wanted to put out What there. side is Louis L'Amour taking here? Is he taking the set the white settler side or is he taking the Native American side? The white settler side. He's taking the white settler side? Okay. So this is Louis L'Amour's exact words. He said, it's not true. It happened. There were cases of murder that were cases of brutality. There were cases of unnecessary killing, but on both sides the white man supposedly should have been better should have been a better person about it Um, but there was wrong on both sides and there's no way you can draw the lines it was all bad we talked about the treaties some of them were lived up oh some of them were lived up to some of them were not some of the indians broke as many as a white man did oh i guess broke the treaties he's saying Mm -hmm. not a lot of people like to believe this now they want to put all the blame on the white man but it wasn't true and in many cases what the white man paid the indian for his land he was well paid in the 
the coin at the time. Not today, because they tell the famous story about the Indian selling Manhattan Island for $24. What? Mm -hmm. He didn't even own it. So it was a rich, crooked real estate deal in America that I know of. The Indian came down out of the hills to go fishing down there, and he didn't even belong in Manhattan Island in that area. And they asked this fella if he'd consider selling his right to it. He said sure. So we sold it, got his fish, and went back home. But these stories, you don't always get. But the Indian was true, fine lawyer. In many cases, had great wisdom. He had a culture that was perfect for himself and was changing. All the Indian needed at that time was Genghis Khan. <laughs> Do you know what he's referring to? Yeah, he's saying that they all the Indian people needed at the time was a Genghis Khan, some some kind of leader, somebody to Got pull it. them all together Got to it. fight off the white man. Okay, somebody to come along and well be the middle one in the big group. And we've never made it. Believe me, they were great fighting men. So he was saying that the Indians were great fighters. Is that what he's saying? He said, yeah, that they were great fighters and all they needed to defeat the white man's invasion was somebody to rally around, I guess, a central figure. Okay. So that's what I'm getting from it. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Thank you for reading that. (laughs) That was a big, that was a doozy. Oh my God. I know. He's a, he's a mush mouth. I feel like my, my voice is permanently stuck in this (laughs) accent. Thank you. You can just keep drinking my wine. Wet your whistle. Which whistle? Mm -hmm. Gonna wet your whistle. These days, Lamore is something (laughs) of a Hollywood cowboy living in luxury in a Spanish style villain, Beverly Hills, surrounded by thousands of volumes of books and diaries and maps and explorers notebooks of the old west. It's the house that paperbacks built, paperbacks by the scores of millions in German and French and Spanish and Portuguese and Italian and the Serbo-Croatian and coming soon, Chinese. He still writes three novels a year, gets the beginning, middle, and end in his head before he sits down to a typewriter. And this is the way of such things. Louis L'Amour, after 20 years of success and in his 68th year, is just being discovered. Is becoming a star turn at book fairs and a noble primitive of literary luncheons. But here is where he comes to recharge himself, to gather himself together to see America again as one of Lamore's own strong, silent men might have seen it a hundred years ago. All right. So before I go into my whole spiel, the answer to that yes, paragraph ma'am. you just read, I got curious when you were talking about his library, uh, how his library is, he's okay. surrounded by a thousand volumes of books and diaries and maps and explorers notebooks about the OS. Like I was like in my head, I'm like, what? I want to know what his library in this old Spanish villa looked like. So I looked it up. Check this out. That's insane. Isn't it? Whoa. That's a lot of wow. notes. And a lot of books. That's a lot of books. That's yeah. a dream. Wow. I just, <gasps> I clicked on the image to blow it up so you can kind of like see more detail. That's he is cool. very unorganized. I would not want to organize that desk. It's like an like organized chaos almost, you know? He knows what's up. Oh, yeah. He knows where everything is. That's crazy. Six in a row. Yeah, man. That that painting over his fireplace. I is that, what that is. Is that a, a cowboy on a horse in a desert? I'm sure. I can't it's very see. dark. I can't really make out what it is, but it, that's what I would imagine it to be. Yeah. Yeah. We'll link this in the uh, show notes down below so you guys can take a peek at, at this guy's library. He's no joke, man. He's the real awesome. Uh, also, real quick, I just want to comment because also in that paragraph that you just read, it says it's the house that paperbacks built, meaning the Spanish style villa that he lived in, right? By the scores of millions in German and French and Spanish and Portuguese and Italian and Serbo-Croatian. Yeah. Right? And yeah. the actor that played Jimmy is Croatian. I know. So again, a connection. That's all crazy, isn't it? It's all making sense now. It's again, all coming. I'm wondering. It's all coming together. You're the char- you're Charlie with all the red line, the I red know. yarn. Again, I'm wondering if whoever wrote that script read this interview and kind of pulled that out of there and was like, "We need a Croatian actor." 
Get me a Croatian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so his response, Louis Lamour's response to that whole paragraph that Christina just read us, he says, out here over in this country, there were a thousand little Alamos, people who fought and died out there to maintain their homes, to keep themselves, and they were bigger than life because the time is demanded. Right now, our times don't, but I'm firmly convinced that it's all still here. The feeling is here, everything. People say there's greed. They say it's a materialistic society. Society has always been materialistic. Show me a country or a time that wasn't materialistic. Ain't he right about that? He is right about that. And I feel like it's just getting more and more materialistic as time goes on, right? It's all always been about greed. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unfortunately so. So um, Dan Rather says, do you think Louis L'Amour was born a hundred years too late? And Louis L'Amour says, no, I'd rather be born in this time than any other time. This is an ex- exciting period. Stop and think what's happened in this period. We put a man on the moon. This is the most dramatic thing since the world began. People are taking it for granted, but they shouldn't. It's a tremendous thing. This is the first step on into a new frontier because we're moving out there where it's all going to happen in the future. And I'm not downbeat about the country at all. I'm very optimistic about the whole thing and there's no reason why not. If you want me to say, so when you looked at my library here, I have my fingertips. 6,000 years of man's history and there have there has always been times when things were bad. They've always been periods of terrible crime. There's always going to be periods of hardship. But this is the best time that man ever had on the face of this earth right now the best time in which to live beautifully said louis lamar yeah i wonder how he would have handled the era of internet because he died right before the internet took the world by storm so i'm wondering like would it would it have helped his craft at all or would it been a detriment i think a detriment because he was all about the experience and right the internet makes it a little too easy yeah no totally i agree i mean even as like a ninth grader or like a eighth grader in the 90s like we still had to go to the school library to do book reports there was no fucking wikipedia back then Right, right. I think we're the last generation that really experienced actually having to do research, not just logging online and finding shit. You know, we actually had to pull from books and pull from sources and, you know, do our work cited page with with stuff we found in encyclopedias and texts and all that stuff. So I think we're we're kind of lucky to be on the cusp that like that last generation to experience all that life before the internet made it so easy for everybody to pull from. I think it also, I don't know, because I don't have younger friends and and the other generations but to like i think that also instills a spark in you i don't know maybe it's just me maybe it's just you and i to research and to like search out information and learn and like dig 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 all the time yeah i love doing that especially on this topic you know and looking at all its little nuances and all the little trivia and stuff like that but just this i would have never known about louis l'amour and for my you know my dad and my grandfather who are huge fans of of western writing and art and movies right i'm like now my dad and i have something to talk about (laughs) (laughs) but like as much as like also like i said before my dad is also very into the whole western i guess genre Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but i've never heard him talk about louis l'amour like you can school him now oh a little bit but um (laughs) also like louis l'amour is a name that as practical magic fans the movie fan right Mm -hmm. how we grew up we've heard this name come out of those characters mouths for how many how many Decades. decades now yeah. And like, we never thought to look a little further into it. And now as a result of this podcast, it gave us more of a reason to dig a little deeper and, you know, 
pull out the ref those references from the movies that you know that we've been hearing for years mm-hmm. that never thought to dive a little deeper on but now we're coming around to learning all of that stuff so it's really sure. cool to i don't know just bring bring these things to light and educate the masses the people who listen to this podcast who are here for the same exact reasons that we are we want to mm. dig deeper on all these little topics all these little references from the books and the movies there's so much to talk about so this it's so podcast exciting. makes me want to go to a library in the the worst way. Oh, don't you? I know. Yeah. We yeah. do. Should we read some of the titles that uh Louis yes. has had? Because oh my god, this guy's got tons, tons of titles um that he's written over the course yes. of his let's read a few. So life. after we get through uh <laughs> we have a few Alice Hoffman books on the in the book club. I really think we should do a Louis Lamore book. Um, and there are some other writers she she references in her other stories, like Emily Dickinson. And who wrote Mrs. Chatterley's Lover? Like things like that we want to dive into because I've never read that before. Yeah, we're going to dive into a lot of the different literature mentioned in the books. Is this the only literature mentioned in the movie? Um, or was there anything else? It's the only thing that I can I really think it's I think it's the only like kind of not pop culture. Oh, the only yeah, pop culture thing that literature. is mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. There's no shows mentioned or anything. Like they keep right. it very focused. Right. Yeah, they do. Well, focused as far as the storyline goes, but as far as the genre. <laughs> yeah. Besides some the debate. music and the attire. So listen, besides the music and the attire, you could put this story in almost any decade almost okay i say that loosely but you know i kind of get pulled out were you and i talking about this i don't know where i heard this but when you read a book and they mention like tiktok or tinder or something modern i'm like yep i'm gone yep same i like timeless i like keep it timeless you know yeah Yeah. i want to be able to pop in at any point and be like yeah the story was made for my generation or even uh for my grandma it could have been made for my grandmother's generation or years from now it could be made for that generation Exactly. Once they mentioned the TikTok, I'm like, what? Yeah. The Facebook, what? Yeah. yeah. So what are some novels we have? All right. So this is including series novels. Um, and this is starting from his first. Are you pub- going to read all of these? I mean, we can just graze through them. There's a lot here. Um, but this is starting from 1950, his first U.S. publication. I guess it was published in London in 1950 and then the first U.S. publication in 1976. Okay. So we're starting with Westward the Tide. That name sounds familiar. I've never read it, but I the name sounds very familiar. The Riders of High Rock, 1951. The Rustlers, Rustlers, there's the word Rustlers again, of West Fork, 1951. The Trail to Seven Pines, 1951. Troubleshooter, 52. Hondo, 53. Showdown at Yellow Butte, 53. Crossfire Trail, 54. Kill Kenny, 54. Utah Blaine, 54. Heller with Damn. a gun. <laughs> three books a year? That's Bro's insane. doing three books a year. Isn't for it? The, for the next three, four, three years in a row. Dude, he's got to be writing every single minute of every single day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he has time to eat or wipe his ass, but like, how the hell is he <laughs> achieving this? It's amazing to me. So Crossfire Trail, Kill Kenny, Utah Blaine, Heller with a gun. Guns of the Timberlands, To Tame a Land, The Burning Hills, Silver Canyon. Last Stand at Papago Wells, Sitka. The Tall Stranger, Radigan, The First Fast Draw, that must have been about a duel, <laughs> Taggart, uh, The Daybreakers. Oh my gosh. Is, what? Do you do you like that movie? Uh, fuck me. <laughs> I never saw the movie Fuck Me, but I'd love to know more about it. Blazing Saddles, the, 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 the like sheriff guy, like there's like the mayor guy, the bad guy, and his like henchman's name is Taggart. Is it? 
It's Taggart. I'll check that out. Okay. Um, the Daybreakers, 1960. Sidebar. I had a band when I was like, I don't know, 23. It was called Justina and the Daybreaks. Nice. And then that band kicked me out and they became a cover <gasps> band. <laughs> what did you do? I went and did my own music because that's right. they they were my backing band for my original music. And then they were like, okay. we don't want to play your music anymore. We want to play Journey all the time. <laughs> okay. So I just thought it was funny. The Daybreaks, the Daybreakers, Flint. Sackett, High Lonesome, Kilo, Lando, Shalako, a lot of lows in 1960s, mm-hmm. Catlo, CeeLo, <laughs> CeeLo, <laughs> Diplo, Diplo, oh man, um, Dark Canyon, Fallon, How the West Was Won, that's, we all know that, that term, Whoa. right, How mm-hmm, the West Was mm-hmm. Won, um, maybe we should start with that one for our book club, since that's sure. like the most popular, let's see what else we got here, Hanging Woman Creek, Mojave Crossing, Kiowa Trail, The High Graders, The Keylock Man, The Sackett Brand, The Broken Gun, Kid Wrote Rodello, Kilrone, Mustang Man, Matagorda, The Skyliners, Brian, Chansey, Down the Long Hills, and now we're moving toward the 70s, or this is the last year of the 60s. Conagher, The Empty Land, The Lonely Men, and now we're moving into the 70s. Galloway, The Man Called Noon, Riley's Luck, The Ferguson Rifle, North to the Rails, Tucker, Under the Sweetwater Rim, Callaghan, Ride the Dark Trail, The Man from Skibbereen, The Quick and the Dead, Treasure Mountain, The Californios, Sackett's Land. Isn't the man- Quick and the Dead a uh, Clint Eastwood movie? That that movie, that, that name does sound familiar. I'll look it up real quick. Yeah, look that up. Uh, that was from 1973. Then we have Treasure Mountain, The Californias, Sackett's Land, The Man from the Broken Hills, Over the Dry Side, Rivers West, The Rider of Lost Creek, To the Far Blue Mountains, Where the Long Grass Blows, Borden Chantry, Fair Blows the Wind, The Mountain Valley War, Bendigo Shafter, The Iron Marshal, The Proving Trail, Lonely on the Mountain. Oh, now we're heading into the 80s. Lonely on the Mountain, The Warrior's Path, Comstock Load, Milo Talon, The Cherokee Trail, The Shadow Riders, The Lonesome Gods, Ride the River. Oh, that was the year I was born, 83, Ride the River. Son of a Wanton Man, The Walking Drum, Jubal Sackett, Passing Through, Last of the Breed, West of Pilot Range, A Trail to the West Audio, and Haunted Mesa in 87. And then he died in 88. So that I guess that was Whoa. his last novel. And then he had a whole collection of short stories. Um, I don't know if we want to read all these, but then he had also had no, some non- that's okay. He had some nonfiction, he had some poetry, he had some com- compilations with other authors, authors, sorry. Um, and then he also had some reoccurring characters. He often wrote series of novels and short stories featuring previously introduced characters, the most notable being the Sackett clan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a whole Sackett series. He wrote wow. Like, 19 19. books about the Sacketts. That's not including the short stories and and the Sackett family involved in 10 other plot novels. Yeah, there were also... 10 other novel plots. There we go. Yeah, there were two Sackett-related short stories and um, they were also involved in the plot of 10 other novels. So they weren't the forefront, but they were involved in the plots of 10 other novels not solely based on the Sacketts. So real quick, that The Quick and the Dead? Yeah. Okay, ready? It wasn't wasn't Clint Eastwood. I was wrong. It was a 1995 movie with Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe, and Leonardo DiCaprio. Jack! We're, we're pulling it all back. We're pulling it all back to my heart will go on. All right. Listen, we're going to have to, aside from the Goodreads and aside from the book club, we're going to have to have a movie night and watch this because <laughs> yeah. I've never seen this movie. Have you? I have not seen this movie. All right. It's, it's a Western movie. Obviously, it's about this book, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're going to have to watch that. And then he had the Talon series 
the Talon and Chantry series often combined into one list for a total of eight, I guess, eight books. Then there was the Chantry series, the Kilkenny series, the Hopalong Cassidy series, the Tumbling K series, the Chick. Oh, God dang. And the There's Cassidy so many. There's, There's so many. Yeah. So read those film adaptations real quick. Just just read the title name. Okay. Oh, there's a Hondo TV show? I'm going to ask my dad if he's ever watched that. All right. I'm sure my dad's heard of some of these. I'm going to have to ask him too. So some of the film adaptations are Crossfire Trail in 2001, The Diamond of Jeru in 2001, Shaughnessy in 96, Conagher in 91, The Quick and the Dead, uh, was an HBO TV movie with uh, Sam Elliott Elliott. and Kate Capshaw, directed by Robert Day. That was in 87. Um, So I guess there was a TV series, Quick and the Dead, aside from the movie Mm -hmm. with Leonardo DiCaprio, which I'm sure was made in the night you said in the 90s yeah 95 i think all right so there's two versions of that one tv movie one actual movie five mile creek which seemed like a series uh it's a uh based on the novel the cherokee trail and that was 39 episodes long between 1983 and 1985 the shadow riders 82 the cherokee trail 81 i guess those are both made for tv movies and then there was the sackets in 79 ombre llamado noon the man called noon oh i guess this was made for spanish tv what ombre llamada noon all right. The, the Man Called Noon. It seems like it was translated in Spanish. Cancel My Reservation in 72 based on the novel The Broken Gun. Catlow, 1971. Shalako in 68. Um, that was also translated for West Germany. It was called Manet Mix Shalako. Well, I don't speak German, so that's... You that, said that uh, in a Spanish accent. <laughs> oh, did I? <laughs> oh, I gotta Take sound it. more angry. Angry to yeah. be German, right? Magnet Machalaco. There you go. There you go. Hondo, which was a 17 episode series in 1967. Uh, Hondo and the Apaches, which is a 1967 TV movie. Kid Rodello in 66. Taggart, 64. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. This goes all the way back to 1953. I'm oh, guessing. Oh, oh. Movie- yeah, there's movies based on his books dating all the way back to 1953. So Damn. just to, Damn. to give you a little bit of a rundown about all of the adaptations, whether film or TV. This guy's got quite the body of work that's been, I guess, adapted over over the course of time since, you know, he started his career. That's just a very amazing resume. <laughs> yeah. The 1953 Hondo starred John Wayne. I think we said that earlier. Is that right? And Geraldine Page. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he is an intense, devout writer for sure. Yeah, I wonder if he had a, a skull on his desk that said Memento Mori. Put the <sighs> fire under his ass to churn yeah. out all these books. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Any uh, any final thoughts on Mr. Lemel? I don't know. I'm I'm like inspired to start my memoir now. Like. <gasps> <gasps> Awesome. Should, we should we should start our memoirs, Christina. A, co- a collab. Collab. Are collab. we gonna fucking collab? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, do you have anything to add to this episode? I'm blown away. I didn't know that he was such a magnanimous force. I guess in the Western writing world. Yeah, and now I do, and I feel a little more educated and not yeah. so dense about the topic of western writers right right he's got such an amazing body of work it's like almost not intimidating but like i don't even know where to start if i were to read one of his books right i know so overwhelming I know. how many books he has i'm like oh my god where do i even what's a good starting point i don't know right the vast majority of people who have read his stuff they're all gonna have their favorite book that they recommend for you to read first right you know exactly so if y'all have read any louis Lamore books that you suggest we start with please let us know yeah um what do you think jimmy's favorite 
favorite book is the one Archie. about the wrestlers clearly wouldn't it, oh, be, the, wouldn't it be some shit if jimmy literally only read that one book and he acted like he was like this big like connoisseur of louis lamore books i feel like he didn't even read a louis lamore book i feel like he just saw it in a storefront and kept walking <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he read it. He just like read the poster and took all of the buzzwords and just like threw them into like one sentence yeah, about just just to make it sound like he knew what the fuck he was talking about. He put it into an AI generator and said, make me sound smart. And then Sally just like came over and was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That is not true. Oh, man. <sighs> so funny thank you for picking this topic this was your pick and then what do we have coming up we got a patreon pick and a random generated pick franny Franny was our poll but wasn't wasn't it like up against something else that was really close what were the poll picks right now it's east uh magic of new england dwight franny and something else dwight oh my god kim she commented on that post for dwight but i think we're doing franny i really hope we are because i already finished the notes i'm like dude if if dwight was actually picked i'm like how do we create a whole freaking episode based on a character that had maybe two lines in the entire movie we'd have to pull out of our ass don't no so we're happy that y'all were here for this giggly wine-filled discussion about an amazing western writer by the name of louis lamore and we hope and that we hear from you if you have read his stuff we want to know about it yeah and just to reiterate he was not a foreigner he's from north dakota you asshole <laughs> yep wrestlers <laughs> were really bad guys he also has a mouthful of marbles in that sentence yeah he does I, he was also I, probably very drunk off of all of that tequila dude i can't wait to talk about jimmy and goron because there's so much i can't wait yeah. all right guys where where can they find us they can find us over on Instagram, which is probably where most people found us first. And we are at Magnolia Street Podcast over on Instagram, where, might I add, Miss Alice Hoffman follows us. So yeah, there's so, that. So if Miss Hoffman is following us, you guys should definitely follow us. Tag her. Tag her and all this stuff. You're late to the game. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Follow us. Uh, don't forget to, please, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we beg you to leave a review because that's how we get bumped up in the algorithm and we want Practical Magic fans just like you to be able to find us and join our party because it's a party. Yes, it is a party. And the party don't stop. What did I say? Where the where the music is fresh and the music never ends? I don't oh, know really what I never said. That. All right. If you guys listen never to ends. Our, our, our WMSR episode, you'll know what the fuck we're talking about. Also, oh shit, what did you just say? Oh, because the party did you don't say stop? Before that? No, before, way before that. that. Oh, so leave us a review. Oh, yes. So uh, those reviews help us for sure. And we also want to do another song episode, but we need a few more reviews to do so. So if you enjoyed the Magnolia Street one, guys, you you kind of already get that little blip, that little song nugget in the beginning and end of our episodes. We have 20 other songs. It's a lot. Yeah, man. For Practical oh, Magic as a concept album. So we want to bring that to you, but we just we need some written reviews. Even if it's just like a, hey, good job. That works. That's it. Um, That's all it takes. I'm, I'm just checking out our uh, Apple podcast right now just to see if there's any new reviews. I don't think so, though. I, I think my mom is an Apple user, so maybe I could get her to do one. Yeah, man. Whatever but... works. Whatever helps get us bumped up. But I know a majority of our listeners are on Spotify. That's why it's like, whatever. So, 
out. If you want to send us an email, you can send that to magnoliastreetpodcast at gmail.com. We also are on Patreon. We so, so appreciate all of our patrons who are supporting us and we get to talk to them and chat with them very intimately. And in our Patreon, do you want to tell them what they get? Yeah, man. So for as little as $1 a month, you can join in on our patron-only polls where you get to decide or help us decide what topic we should talk about next. So the patrons get one pick per month. So get get your votes in so you can weigh in on the next discussion. Also, our $3 tier, you get all of our show notes from today's episode and all the other episodes. Like literally, this is a library, you guys. So once you pay that $3, you have access to not only today's episode, but all the episodes we have in the bank. So literally, you get all the show notes and PDFs nice printable pdf if you want to download and print any of these out and make a little binder whatever you want to do it's up to you what you want to do with these show notes um but they're there if you want them so and also we do after hours posts and blog posts we we post some photos and any kind of behind the scene little tidbits we have to share about the creation of each episode christina's really good at those i'm not so good but i'm trying well thanks you know but it's just a fun little inside look at you know you take you take care of all the music stuff i I know i know let you do that thing yeah and then on our five dollar tier you can join our exclusive discord server and our facebook and we try to do we've been keeping up pretty well but we we've been doing our one facebook live a month for anybody on our over in our facebook group and that's been a lot of fun and And we do talk about ideas like forthcoming ideas that uh the patrons like help us come up with and and we put it into action so like you Y'all have a say in how this podcast is created. Yeah. So let that be a lesson to you. Yeah. If you want to be a part of the creative process, definitely join our $5 tier on our Patreon. Yeah. So and the $5 tier on Patreon, that the Discord server, you also get to join the book club. So if you want to be part of the book club, get in on that as well. And then our $8 tier is our music from our song episodes. So if you like the music that you hear, all the stuff that me and Christina have written together, the whole thing that snowballed this whole podcast, check out the music over there. And we also have some other audiovisual content in between the song episodes like meditations or bonus episodes. Side stories, yeah. Side stories, any any other little um, audio or visual stuff that we have to share, we'll throw it on the $8 tier. So you guys have some extra bonus content. That's that's all we have for for the patreon so you can check us out at patreon.com slash magnolia street podcast and also one more thing we do have a little voicemail a link at the bottom if you want to leave us a voicemail leave us a story weigh in on your favorite episode so then we could talk about it on the next next episode right awesome and we also have a goodreads now and a tiktok so we're good luck around. finding us on our social media rounds yes 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 so right, should we, we do appreciate one more cheers i'm empty but i'll do a cheers with you you can't Cheers an empty glass. That's bad luck. Uh, but then I gotta go back. There's like a little sip. There's a little. Look at that. Okay, that counts. Cheers it. Okay. Ching ching. Okay. All right, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Magnolia Street Podcast. We will see you on the interwebs. I'm Christina. I'm Justina. And we'll, and see, we'll see. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh. <laughs> ah. and, and we'll, we'll see, see you next time. On Magnolia Street, would you go down to Magnolia Street with the wisteria girl? Wow, and the house of magic and mystery. So, would you go down to Magnolia Street? Okie doke. All right, I love you. You're so nice to me. So All right.